Well, one of the four principal functions of the CIA is to gather intelligence and, and ideally forward it to the, the president, the users of information, the policymakers, as they say. There are other functions, however, some of them more legitimate than others. One is to run secret wars, the covert action that's written and talked about so much, like what's happening in Nicaragua today from Honduras. Another thing is to disseminate propaganda to influence people's minds. And this is a major function of the CIA. And uh, unfortunately, of course, it overlaps into the gathering of information. You, you have contact with a journalist, you will give him true stories, you'll get information from him, you'll also give him false stories. Did you do buy his confidence with true stories? You buy his confidence and set him up. We've seen this happen in, uh, recently with Jack Anderson, for example, who, who has his intelligence sources, and he has also admitted that he's been set up by them. You know, every fifth story just simply being false. Uh, you also work on their human vulnerabilities to recruit them in a classic sense, to make them your agent so that you can control what they do, so you don't have to set them up sort of, you know, by, by putting one over on them. So you can say, here, plant this one next Tuesday. Can you do this with responsible reporters? Yes, the Church Committee brought it out in 1975, and then Woodward and Bernstein put an article in Rolling Stone a couple of years later. Uh, 400 journalists cooperating with the CIA, uh, including some of the biggest names in the business. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Sunday, July 2nd, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Decided to do a focus on East Palestine today. I, I did. I, there's a lot that I was going over that I wanted to get into today that I thought was important. Obviously, France is something I've been wanting to get into it's a topic that is as many of these, like, like the things we see in China or going back a minute to where we saw the, the real kind of peak of the Taiwan divide discussion. It's hard to discern between I mean, Ukraine is a great example. It's hard to discern between in the moment propaganda and everything else. And so that's one of the things in regard to France that I think is so very important is there's so much flying around that at, the, at best is unverified. And then at worst, you can tell there are a lot of people who, one, just don't care, and you know who those ca characters are, or those that are in, almost intentionally sharing misinformation because of any number of reasons, usually a political two-party aligned agenda. Like our stream is already struggling right out of the gate. Let me know if you guys can hear me. But it's important to discuss this from an objective viewpoint. I think it's important that there's a lot of, multi a lot of factors involved. We know that there's an agenda a globalization agenda that's not even something that should be discussed as conspiracy theory. It's a very real dynamic that's actively in play all over the world. But we also know that there is a local example of a kid that was shot and how that's being argued as why that's why that the, the protests are happening. It could be both. It could be intentional. It could be set off and just in order to drive people to certain actions. And I think usually it's involving a lot of different things at once. But what seems most logical to me is that this is something that is 
involving all these sectors, but is at the same time being used against all of us, as we see with a lot of these things. Well, I mean, every topic I could point out today is that is it, it's seemingly it's almost as if the powers that shouldn't be the powers that wish they were have realized that we are just not buying the narratives anymore, which I think we all recognize. And so this is sort of a, a next step in order to kind of synthesize a new direction using our own perspectives against us, how we can say, hey, if they're covering it, that means this is the truth. That's not the case anymore if it ever really was. Or if this guy says this, it means the opposite. That's just really clumsy old thinking. Again, if it was ever actually accurate, it's assumption at the very least. So we're going to get into that in the second part of the show today and go over what exactly we think is happening there and give you all the facts and the data and what we can prove and what we don't know and let you decide for yourselves. But I wanted to start today with East Palestine. I was talking about this with somebody before. I was, I was kind of struggling today in general. As you guys know, I've been dealing with back issues that are just making everything more complicated. But that aside, a feeling of, of uh, frustration, but at the same time, like can't, like it won't matter what we do. And I don't believe that. You guys know I don't believe that. I believe we make a difference every day. I believe us being here in this conversation – Everybody in the, in the chat, what you're doing in your daily lives, like we have verifiably made a difference in the world just by being in this community. And I think a lot of these communities have. We are making a difference. But it's hard not to get kind of bogged down with the feeling that it's insurmountable, that we, no matter how hard we try, and that's, again, the point coming to East Palestine, that it just blows me away that we can have all this evidence, everything you can prove, everything showing you what's going on and they just go no that's not what's happening and it just stays that way well okay we've got multiple independent experts we got all these people on the ground everybody in town most of the people in the contaminated areas are still sick with the same symptoms and you go no nothing's happening here's a test that says you're fine okay well that's not true. We all see it. We all feel it. We know what happened. It's the same symptoms. The CDC showed up. They got sick. The EPA showed up. They got sick. But we're all lying. It's all stress. Tell that to all the vaccine injured people that are we're now in real time forcing down their throats that they know that we we know that they know they're lying about it. People are hurt. People are collapsing. Same point. Where's the accountability? Now, I'm not saying this to make everybody feel like, man, we just can't. We are ma- the, the reason the, the fact that we're even having this conversation and that they're forced to engage with it shows you how much we've made a difference. But how do we take the next step? That's what I'm de- frustrated with. That's what I'm t- toying with right now. How do we get from we all see it? We all have the evidence. We've got independent experts. We've got everybody showing exactly what's really going on. And they just deny it. So it's the agency, it's the government, it's the companies, it's everybody in lockstep together, and we are over here going, we all see it, what do we do next? Now, I honestly, I don't have the answer to that. What I know for sure is that we don't stop doing this. We have to keep pushing. So I decided to do a focus today on what's going on in East Palestine up to today, and some newer information from Scott C. Smith and a couple of others that just blew me away. Like, literally, like, I was like, is that, that has to be a mistake. And sure enough, it's, it. <laughs> 14,000% higher compared to a control or an area not contaminated might sound ridiculous until you realize that we're talking about minuscule amounts, parts per trillion being dangerous, we understand. And if we're testing control areas 
and gets and we're in, in that this overlaps with a bigger story about the dioxin background that they don't want anybody to know about that they've been covering up for years and decades and and testing that and comparing it and the point being is that that's still dangerous but what he's finding is 14,000 times a part per trillion which is still a very small amount but it's catastrophically more dangerous for you for everybody around you yeah, somebody in the chat saying it sounds like the Vax discussion. The same thing. It's every conversation in front of us. Oh, there's no Nazis in Ukraine. Pff, you guys are ridiculous. And everyone's looking at Nazis, looking at Nazi salutes, looking at fa- fascist groups, looking at those same groups from four months ago, or you know, whenever back before this started, saying those are Nazis and it's dangerous. And then going, no, you're wrong about. Again, what do we do about that? We keep pushing. And I think what we're talking about right now is this information war. But the, the concern, which is where we get in with France, is where this seems to topple over into something more kinetic, violent. The last thing we should want is that. And there are some people in this community in the two-party illusion, most likely, driving people to think that's the next step. Don't take the bait. I really think they're pushing people to take the bait, to be violent, to justify the actions they need. Because when there's a population that's going, we see through you, we know what you're doing, and we're not buying your lies, what do you think they do next? Well, they need a justification. They could just step in and step on your neck, and then we'll all know what's happening. Or they could create a justification to make it seem like you're the bad guy to the fringe grouping of people that might still believe what they're saying. Just think about that for a minute. And ask yourself what it even makes how it makes sense to take violent action against a group that is waiting for you to do so so they can use their wildly superior weaponry and blame you for doing so. Just something to think about. We'll get into a lot of this as we go through it today, but let's start with what's going on in East Palestine. And I, and I really do want us to think about this. And, you know, it's, it, it's this, is, this whole topic, as much as it's hyper-focused on East Palestine, is about everything else as well. It really is just about the way that these people conduct themselves, the way that they cover up what you know is happening, and then even tell you you're wrong for pointing it out. Tell you that you're bad. Bombing foreign countries and saying you're a terrorist as they murder your family in front of you. But think about what that does to people. What is this doing to people in East Palestine? What do you think they think about the government? What do you think these people think about the EPA as they're watching their children vomit four months later every day? And they're going, no, you're wrong. You're okay. Here's my test that says so. And then when they say, go get a test at the the hospital, we'll pay for it. You go in, the hospital says, we're not supposed to. And then maybe you get it. They say, we can't pay for it. (laughs) But wait a minute, you told me to get it and I'll pay for it. Neither of those things happen. And we still go, you're lying. You can see how this turns people into radical actors. Probably the point. Andrew Welton, who's been one of the independent experts that has been aggressively following up on this story, and good for him for doing so, because this is one of the stories that seems very few people even care about right now. I mean, even even with this crazy number and this story in general, my guess is most people will look at it and go, oh, where's France? Where's the the topic of what's what's the bigger story that everybody tells us I'm supposed to be looking at? Now, France is very important, but it's amazing that we kind of take the newest thing They dangle something in front of us and we jump for it every time. Now, he says, buildings are still chemically contaminated indoors near the derailment site. Now, this is from yesterday. Just understand that we're talking four months ago. And he's telling us that they're testing inside people's homes. Of course, we're talking right near the site, understand. But this is supposed to be four months after an area where they were welcomed back after days 
saying everything was completely fine. They are still testing, and we're not even into the high level of dioxins we're talking about. That's a different discussion. This is just starting off in a general sense that they are still finding chemically contaminated areas inside people's homes as of yesterday. While the EPA to this very moment is saying that's not true, or rather specifically not saying you're lying, just going, our tests don't show anything wrong, as if that is somehow the end-all, be-all conversation. So he says, so what you are what you are seeing is how the decision makers do not speak about or remove existing indoor contamination. This is the shifting the burden policy trap. So, I mean, this, what he's saying is in his opinion, this is a knowing they're knowingly hiding the problem and allowing the individuals to take the brunt of it. This one says activated carbon filters are going to be installed. It's uh, this is just what they're doing to try to stop this. Now, on top of that, realize that they're, installing these kind of filters how does that make sense though if they're saying there's nothing wrong our tests say there's no problem but let's hurry up and put these filters in for how does that make sense you could oh they just want to make them feel better well no it's not that there's more going on and i think we all are beginning to see that i think we've all known this for the i mean this is this is this supersedes partisanship at this point as much as they tried to make this a left right thing so the trump supporters in east palestine it really is something that nobody can deny what's happening here whether we're even it, just the correlation alone is enough. I would never say with just the correlation that you can prove it because it could always potentially be something else. But any detective, any researcher could look at this and go, it's no question. Everything aligns in one direction. It's the same symptoms that you'd expect with the things that happened, the way they burned it, the what's going. I mean, it's just everything. The only thing that makes it out to be not what's happening is that EPA says so. That's it. Sort of sounds like every other conversation, right? We're, I actually, I no joke, and I tried to, I, pull, I pulled off a lot of stuff to make it not all over the place today. I'm going to do another show hopefully tomorrow about all the other things I pulled off, but I, no joke, I saw another post come up today. Another baffling story in Canada. Can you guess what it is? Another baffling realization that we've got some kind of a brain problem that nobody can understand. I've seen those every other month for the last, since COVID started, or rather since the injections began. We're baffled, baffling brain disease. Look, literally just search baffling brain Canada and you will get posts over the last four years over and over. It's weird how they renew their baffled, or how would you say that? They renew their baffled perspective every time the story comes out. You think they'd stop being baffled or at least do some investigation in between that time. No, you know what the story is? They're not baffled at all. They're baffled at how much we're aware of what's going on. And they're acting. The point is you can show exactly what's going on. The neurological overlaps. I'm getting distracted. The point is that they just keep pushing stuff as like, we're confused and we know what's going on. And I don't mean that by one. I mean that one, because we can see it Two because we can prove it. But Benny Johnson points out back to East Palestine. Holy smokes. Check out the war zone horrors happening right now outside of Moscow. Look at what's happening in Moscow right now. It's crazy. Obviously, I kind of said that before we started East Palestine, but he's making a joke. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. This is what the U.S. government did to Americans in East Palestine, Ohio, with absolutely no consequences for those in power. Biden didn't even visit, which, frankly, that is like the most meaningless point, a very partisan. What does it matter if Biden visits a place? What does it matter if Trump visits a place? It's a meaningless political stunt. A president can do whatever they need to do without stepping on the ground in a local. Like my point, you should go, quite honestly, because it shows that you care. That's what they're doing it for. But at the end of the day, it shouldn't be a point that we go, he didn't even go. You know, it's the same thing that left does with Trump or he didn't condemn the bad guys. So what does that mean? 
where you have to stand up and go, I condemn the bad thing we all think is bad. It's, it's all politics, guys. Anyway, that point aside, this is crazy to think about that this is what happened in this town. Nothing has happened since. Now, this brings me to the point of what they're lying about today, which I thought I've been wanting to revisit. And this, well, actually, it starts with this was just another clip that Poso shared. <laughs> they put shape chargers in a train full of chemicals and inverted the atmosphere, and they won't tell us who gave the order. Really? I'm just, I'm getting so frustrated with the gradual reframing of the reality by partisanship. People that are arguably framing themselves as fighting for the truth of the story, and yet seemingly both, look, status quo has been on the story, and this isn't them. My point is even they continue to like alter the points. The we're, We don't know who actually, or, yes, we do, guys, we do. And you've been following this story with us, and you know this. We've shown you the information. Now, what I said under this, with, oh, this Twitter's acting all over the place today. Let's see if it's fixed. Okay, it looks like it's up and running again. Okay, good. It was acting crazy today. But I simply said, and you can watch this for yourself, it's a whole hour thing. Now, I'm not familiar with who this guy is he's speaking with um, right here. But I just simply said, and this, look, this is my opinion, but look, if you've been watching our coverage of this topic and you're acutely aware of what's been going on and what we can prove in East Palestine, you'll quickly pick out the things he's saying as sort of like packaging together some talking points or headlines. And, you know, it's not my point is there's a lot he's saying that's not accurate. I'm not saying he's doing it intentionally. That's my opinion as well. I could be wrong. But I said, and we can prove in three different ways, as we have on this platform, that the EPA was acutely involved in the decision to conduct an uncontrolled burn, which is why it was, by definition, uncontrolled, because there was no controlled flow of oxygen. That's the definition, or one main part of it. In one example, they are on the record saying that. What frustrates me is I'm not sure why people are almost giving the EPA a pass at this point. I mean, I kind of think I know why. Long, bigger picture. But, all, but you go in and you listen to all of this. And there's a lot of things in there that aren't really the full picture. Now, let's go into just that one point. This is the fact sheet from February 17th from Biden speaking on the record, saying within hours, the Norfolk Southern train derailment, within hours of the derailment, not the actions, but the derailment, the EPA deployed a team to East Palestine to support the state and local agent emergency. Okay. There's only one of two ways you can look at this. The EPA, first of all, we can prove that they were there, and I'll go further on that in a minute. But even if they weren't, if Biden says this, then they, bottom line is then you at least have to address the fact that he lied about it. But that's not what happened. They were there. So if the EPA, which they were, were on the ground within hours, two hours, according to Biden, they were in control of the area. That's a federal response. So if something took place... They didn't authorize, let's say. <laughs> you guys losing the connection? Of course. Well, something took place that they did not authorize. Well, there should be very strong consequences for that, right? In, in the way that this is supposed to operate. They're, they're, they're the ones. My point is when you step in, you're now in control. You're the authority that's in control. And anything that happens underneath your control is your responsibility. It's amazing the kind of lack of leadership we get from the leaders of this country where they go, We're, it was not me. I didn't do it. It was Joe over there. He works for me. It wasn't me. Well, yeah, that's your guy. You're responsible. If you're operating over this, you're responsible. But the point is that they had local, they had federal, and they had both sides of the paradigm and the governors. All of them were in, 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 on the ground when this was happening. And they collectively, as I'll show you, made a decision to do this. Now, after the fact, as it's becoming probably more and more fleshed out, they didn't expect to be 
the way that was done where people are going, that's a problem. That's what caused this issue. That's why people are sick. It was your choice, your lack of any kind of, I mean, in fact, technically they had more than enough time to make choices to, let's say, lay down a barrier before dumping chemicals on the bare ground, but they didn't. So now people are going, no, it was him. It was them. It wasn't our fault. Everyone's trying to pass the blame. And apparently plenty of partisan people are going, yeah, we don't even know. <laughs> well, yeah, we do though. At the very least, we know what they said. So it's odd to say that we don't know this. Here, you can see them on just, this is from February 6th. Crews monitoring air quality have not seen anything unexpected. The, envi- the EPA said this during an event press conference with locals. Now, if this had happened, if they were on the ground and some random person, some firemen or the local groups decided to burn this, causing this massive explo- you know, plume and fire, do you think that's how they would respond? <laughs> Nothing unexpected. Everything's fine. All along the plan. Now, look, again, even if maybe they were trying to save face and they were, they, like I'm saying, have to, they realize that it's their responsibility, even if they didn't make that choice, they still took responsibility for it right there. So far, so good. And we're going to continue to monitor until the fire is out. We're talking about the controlled release. That's it right there. Even though it's not a controlled release. I mean, that's the the game that's been played. And just understand, all the partisan players that are talking, they all say controlled release, which blows my mind. News Nation and Cuomo, it's a controlled release. It is the most basic thing to look this up. One of the primary aspects of a controlled burn and that's why they start to call it release and they, they play that game because they released controlled release of the chemical. It wasn't even a controlled release of the chemicals. If it was a controlled release, you wouldn't have dumped it right on the ground with no barrier. I mean, it's just silly. There's literally nothing about this was controlled other than the fact that they chose to do it. That's it. But it says the news comes after officials made urgent calls for evacuations as they planned to burn off the chemicals. Right, so now, now you're making it clear, by the way, that there was a plan. So they had discussed it, they had planned. At what point was the EPA not aware of this plan? Were they just off eating lunch one day and nobody was talking to them? No, clearly they were there. They were there two hours afterward, and there was a plan laid out, which they were involved with, and then it was executed. Like, this is just straight up criminal. Like, they're openly going, we didn't do anything. At the very least, that should be, like, shockingly incompetent. But it says, in an earlier statement to ABC News, Norfolk Southern called the controlled release a success and said materials are burning off according to plan. So even now, like, that, this is the way they play this. DeWine was even momentarily kind of like, we didn't do this either, which he's on the record, which we covered this at a previous show. But they, they, Norfolk themselves said, yep, it's going great. But now that it's turned out that the going great plan was actually catastrophic, they're trying to walk themselves away from that. The railroad also said, this is, remember, this is February 6th. The railroad also said it is monitoring air quality with the Ohio EPA. Great. So another overlap with the local EPA as they're monitoring the quality, which shows you that they were aware that there was possibly a problem with the actions they were taking. They were all involved. Quote, the vinyl chloride contents of the five rail cars are currently unstable. Now that is not even accurate. As far as I can tell, based on their own documentation, there was one that appeared to be potentially problematic. I will always maintain that allowing that maybe even covering it to some degree and allowing that to maybe explode would have been monumentally more safe than doing what they did. The argument of some kind of shrapnel possibility. Well, yeah, that's far less dangerous than a environmentally catastrophic, potentially lifelong problem. That I can prove to you that they were aware of what this was going to happen. We did many times already. So that, that really is what causes me to ask whether this was an intentional choice or not. 
And whether that was just because of some sinister concept or covering something else up, which is very likely to alleviate the risk of uncontrollable shrapnel. That's all. That, that was the only reason, guys. Anybody would have been like, really? The possibility of shrapnel versus the guaranteed contamination of the environment? Pretty stupid. Here is on February 21st. East Palestine fire chief silent after they blame him for everything. That's what that's what eventually happened. So as February 21st, people were asking questions. So, I mean, it shouldn't be very hard to understand that if we know that they were very all clearly again, and more than just this, I'll prove to you with their own statements from the EPA themselves, admitting that they were there and on the ground and ready to make choices. That they were suddenly ready to distance themselves, not even a month later. A spokesman with the EPA said that the fire uh, uh, spokesman with the EPA region five Monday that that's weird. Is it the typo? Apparently a spokesperson with the EPA region five Monday that the fire chief of the <laughs> damn it. I hate when I see that was the individual who ordered the controlled burn following the catastrophic train derailment. I'm crazy. That sentence still says that they're blaming the fire chief. He was the one responsible. Now, this is the equivalent of somebody of, you know, you're, you're managing a restaurant and you're, somebody at the hostess does something stupid and somebody comes up and complains to you and you're like, oh, it's not my fault. She did it. You'd be like, well, what? You mean that 16-year-old girl did that and you're telling me, to, what, should I go yell at her or you're the manager, right? Like, this is really, really stupid. Now, that's, this is not like the fire chief is some kind of 16-year-old girl. The point is that from the level of a federal EPA response down to a local fireman, whether he's the chief or not, it's obvious that the EPA federally has the authority over the entire situation. Now, that gets, that there's a difference when you get into who's supposed to be managing and acting in regard to these certain choices. They argue that at this point, I'll just read the next sentence, that's this commander. But that does not mean they just get to make choices without any input from the EPA. And aside from all of that, we can prove to you that they were aware of the plan and the potential consequences because they were making actions toward that before it even happened. It says, quote, EPA did not order the controlled burn. Just desperately pushing in that concept. The local fire chief was the incident commander who made the decision in consultation with Norfolk Southern, local law enforcement, and, get this, response officials from the from Ohio. You know who that is? The EPA. That is the Ohio EPA, the local EPA, which then answers to the federal EPA. So this is really pathetic. They were well aware at this point, this early, three months ago, that this was something potentially legally problematic to the point to where they're blaming a local fire chief for the entire thing. Despite the fact that Norfolk Southern law enforcement and uh, state officials were there, why would this be the local fire chief's responsibility at the very least if they were all involved? But it says, according to FEMA, an incident commander is responsible for the overall management of the incident and determines which command or general staff positions to staff in order to maintain a manageable span of control and ensure appropriate attention to the necessary. Okay, that doesn't say anywhere that he's the only one that makes choices and nobody else gets input. That just simply means that he is overall responsible for the management of the incident. If you're going to pretend that means that the federal EPA is not in, has authority, I mean, we can prove to you that the hierarchy of command is very clear in regard to what's happening, especially since we can see that they had the authority to step in after this and go pause. Everybody, because apparently Norfolk Southern wasn't doing what they were supposed to. 
which is really stupid to just give them that opportunity. I think that was also another way to play the whole situation. Remember, we, and we'll get into this more in a second about the shipments and the danger there, which they allowed Norfolk Southern to do very haphazardly, which everybody was aware of. I think this was all by design, guys. I really do. It says East Palestine Fire Chief Keith Drabic, which, by the way, I didn't have time to dig any deeper on this in particular. I'd love to try to find out what happened to him after the fact, what he's doing today, what his argument is, because as far as I can tell, he did not comment after this was put to him. Now, that's a really strange response, isn't it? You're being blamed for the entire choice of what is the biggest environmental disaster that we've probably ever seen in this country, at least as far as we can see on a public scale. And there's all sorts of discussions of like, like there's actually a discussion of one, a, a, one of the largest nuclear disasters in this country's history in, in Los Angeles area that nobody talks about. You just, if you just look that up. You'll probably find what I'm talking about. It's crazy. There's lots of these things in this country. I'm going to make a point about that in a moment. But it's interesting. He says, if he recommended the controlled burn, if he had the legal authority to order the controlled burn. So even within this, they're going to do even have that authority. Well, guys, the point is that even the incident commander includes the, the act. It involves the hierarchy of authority. And it says, and any details of the analysis that led to the decision or if any other options other than that, than waiting for the cartridge to explode were considered. No comment. Very political. All of this, this, this topic is so aggressively politicized, it's alarming to me. I'm going to get into it in a minute, but when I'm calling to check up on some of these other locations I looked into today, it's the way that they respond is unnerving to me. Public companies that just do waste disposal, and you call up and go, hey, do you guys have an incinerator? And they're like, I need to direct you to my public relations. It's like, what? <laughs> it's like asking what your, the name of your company is, and we're like, we need to give you to public relations. Really? There's, they're clearly on guard, and that says a lot to me. But it says, in a press conference last week, this is a member on the 21st of February, DeWine, Governor DeWine, said before deciding to implement the controlled release, he and the Pennsylvania Governor Shapiro spoke with representatives from the railroad who recommended the controlled release was the best option for the safety of the residents. So right there, Norfolk Southern was like, we didn't, we didn't do it. We didn't have anything involved with that. And at one point, you even had DeWine going, we didn't do that. <laughs> and now you got both EPAs going, we weren't involved with that. Like, what does that tell you? everybody's trying to distance themselves from this choice. DeWine also noted that the Ohio National Guard actually even did a modeling exercise of how the release would work in conjunction with the Department of Defense to give some additional information and understand the full ramifications before making this decision. But yeah, it was the fire chief by himself though, right? Department of Defense modeled out how this would play out, but the EPA wasn't involved. They think you're this stupid, guys. I mean, they are desperate to, I mean, I don't think they have a choice. I think they hope you're this stupid because we are seeing through them like I've never seen in my lifetime. The modeling was then produced into a map and the decision was then made to proceed with the recommended controlled release. So you literally had a DOD, National Guard, EPA overlap where they modeled out how this would go. What does that tell you? Now ask yourself, why in the world the U.S. Department of Defense would even be involved? Because I swear to you, something tells me that there is more going on in regard to what was on that train. I've said that from the very beginning. That's just my personal opinion. Why this was de dead silent for about 10 days, despite the fact that this was obviously a gigantic story. And now everyone's, I mean, the Department of Defense, really? One, something tells me there was something else on this train and it was potentially this was taken, it was it, potentially this action was taken to cover up some kind of other bigger story. 
I'm literally just, this is just my random opinion. I have no evidence to that effect. But think about how crazy this is that we can blame this one guy and it's obvious they were all involved from day one. Here's the News Nation. This is Cuomo's, you know, this is corporate media, guys. It's not, this is mainstream media. EPA not consulted in East Palestine, controlled burn, according to the EPA. Like, we literally just showed you that's not true. And we can prove to you, and I'll show you the clips of them speaking on this next. But here's what they're trying to tell you right now. The EPA confirmed to News Nation, and this is one of the reasons why a lot of these right-leaning, you know, or rather, I guess it's, it's a kind of an overlap, to be quite honest, but the two-party illusionists are willing to kind of go, we don't know who did it. Because I guess they just take at face value the current narrative. They confirmed to News Nation that they were not consulted on and did not sign off on the controlled burn that released toxic chemicals into the air. That is their current stance, as of today, actually. Think about how stupid that is. Despite, I mean, okay, just the one point again, Biden quite literally said that they were there within two hours. And you can actually prove that is true. So how do you take this at face value? How do you even, as a news organization, report that without right after it going, but we can literally prove that's not true? Or at the very least, but here's where Biden said they were pre- Really? Great news, guys. Great journalism. Norfolk Southern, however, maintains the EPA was involved in the discussions. And that's just pitting them against each other. But you can prove, again, that they were there. They don't even touch on that in this article. February 6th, three days after the derailment, Norfolk Southern conducted what they called a controlled burn. At the very least, but give them that, they at least undermine it's <laughs> not a controlled burn, releasing 116,000 gallons of vinyl chloride into the air over the small community. Now, that's not actually what happened, right? You burned vinyl chloride. Some went into the air. Most of this was byproducts. Dioxins primarily, TCDD specifically. The most dangerous chemical we're aware of. Not a joke. Quote, I think that was a mistake, says a former EPA administrator. I'm looking very closely at who made the decision to set this on fire. I think the decision will be a major factor in the lives of the communities going forward. Yeah, you don't say. Welcome to the, welcome to the reality. And this goes on to talk about <clears throat> Governor DeWine. You know, previously said among those involved that he was among those involved, quote, we then made the decision to go with the second option, which was a controlled release, February 14th. Today, or rather gone back and forth, really, on March 9th in front of Congress, he said, quote, the decision was, quote, made by unified command under the direction of the incident commander. See, somebody spoke to them. Somebody in their lawyer team was like, okay, we're in a, we have a problem here. So we need to shift the blame over to the guy who we can put on paper as the one responsible. That's what this is. It's very clear to me. East Palestine Fire Chief Keith Drabik did not respond to request for comment. It remains unclear who had the legal authority to order this controlled burn. That's the point that everybody keeps making from the people I've spoken to, that there's no way, legally speaking, there's no way he would have made this decision without consulting the people above him. There's no way. It says, I was on a meeting with the EPA recently and asked them why they signed off on the decision to do an open burn. They told me they did not sign off. The EPA told me they were not asked about whether or not to do an open burn. They're blatantly lying, but big surprise, they're lying about the fluoride in the water conversation. They're lying about everything we could point out and that they were not part of that decision. News Nation reached out to the EPA for statement, but hasn't heard back. Here is from February 17th, the one they were just referencing right there. We made the decision. So right there, you can see that at one side of his mouth early on, he goes, we were involved because apparently he wanted to take control. And now that he's realizing that taking control is going to put him possibly behind bars or accountability, suddenly we're shifting it off. That's just dishonesty. You can compare both their statements and be like, well, one of these is dishonest. So there you go. 
not hard to see that we have dishonest people trying to cover their own asses here. It was clear we faced two bad options, DeWine said. Right, so he's aware. They planned it out. They mapped it out with the DOD and the National Guard, and they played this out exactly the way they wanted to, I would argue. <clears throat> now, in this, this is the previous episode we did. Thank you for our Discord community for finding this for me. February 26, 2023, dioxins, the Ohio cover-up, and the overwhelming intentional incompetence malfeasance of the U.S. government. And that's where we get into stuff like this. Now, here's the clip. This is the full report, actually. You can watch this in its entirety. But here's Biden saying it. Three weeks now since the toxic train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, as you know. The mayor says he saw you in Ukraine, and he says it tells you he doesn't care about us. They're asking, is the president coming to Ohio? Do you have any plan to travel to Ohio, and have you talked with the mayor yet? Let's put this in perspective. Within two hours of that derailment, the EPA was in there. Within two hours. Every major agency in the United States government that had anything to do with rail and or cleanup was there and is there. There you go. Not hard to understand. Every major organization that was there, they were all there. Every one of them from two hours in. But we're supposed to believe that this one local fire chief was the one that ever. This is how you blame and cover up. This is what our government does. It's really what every government does, in my opinion. But we need to be aware of this as Americans. This is what we're dealing with. It's not a left-right thing. It's not Biden's administration, the left wing. It's all of them, guys. It's what our government does. You are expendable. The only way we can change that is if we care enough to acknowledge the reality. Here, the, the black gentleman there in front of you, that is the EPA, the EPA administrator. And I'll show you his image later in one of the other articles we have. Here's what they say on the record. We feel very confident. I feel very confident in the technologies that we've deployed. We've deployed aircraft. We have mobile vans circling the community. We have stationary air monitoring strategically placed all across this community. We've tested the indoor air quality of over 550 homes. So our data is very solid. Don't, don't forget, though, so if right now today, multiple independent experts are finding dramatically high levels of pro both dioxins in the filters, as well as just ambient air in these homes, that they're being contaminated. Was he lying? Were they intentionally testing for the wrong things, like VOCs generally, as opposed to specifically nowhere there? However you look at this, so either he was incompetent, or they were, or they're lying to you, because we can prove to you that this is happening. At the very least, it's like the vaccine conversation. If you think that's not what's happening, then you better damn well explain why everybody in this town predominantly is still suffering illness four months afterward and suffering the exact symptoms you'd expect with what went down. Feel free to jump in there and say something. If you don't, The point is they go, that's not that, and then we'll move forward. It's not the vaccine. Let's move forward. What do you mean? Baffling brain diseases and baffling excess mortality. Well, let's just move forward. Like, that's absolutely ludicrous. It is a cover-up. And we believe that in our partnership with the state, uh, that we have absolute confidence in if the homes have been cleared and tested for drinking water, uh, then we trust that data. So we feel really good about that. Of course, they went and hired groups, like we pointed out, uh, that were associated with previous cleanups then caught for lying about it, right? So they're, we're, we're going to trust what they tell us. Well, that's stupid. The bottom line is we, they, they, the Norfolk Southern immediately reached out to groups that I argue are classically known. You can look up their names. R repeatedly called out and actually caught for lying about massive disasters. 
And that's who they're working with. It's not for debate. You can prove it. No, well, we trust it. We trust what they're telling us. Well, that seems stupid. Um, I'd have to. They ask if they're testing for dioxins. Now, here's one of the bigger points of all of this. They were immediately aware of this because of people that were testing, because of people like us that were calling this out. And at this point, this was a month afterward, get mo- about a month. They knew what was going on, and this was their response. And still to this day, I can prove to you that they have not actually done any real work on dioxins. They keep spinning the wheel and acting. And I'll, I'll get into more specifically what they're trying to say, which is a really important point. That, that overlaps with the cover-up of the background problem they really don't want you aware of. Consult with my team. I'm not quite sure if we are... Um, I'd have to consult with my team. I'm not quite sure if we are uh, testing for a dioxin uh, yet. Really? I know that that is under discussion, and it's not something that's off the table. Right. So a month in, and they're all have to talk. I'm not sure. What do you mean you're not sure? So you, a chlorinated product was burned, correct? Yes, they all know that. And I can prove to you on their own documentation, it took me half a day to figure this out, that they're very, very aware. Decades of research about how dangerous this is and how easy this is to cause. And yet we don't know. That is, a, that is guys, this is one of the biggest examples. They knew about it. It's their job to know about it. And yet they didn't know. We're not sure. That is, that is hoping that we don't push any further. And this has gone on four months and we're still pushing. And that is why Scott C. Smith is talking about this. And we're going to get to that point about the 14,000 times percent time, 14,000 times, 14,000 percent times the average. Right. So he's comparing filters in, in areas that weren't affected to filters in these people's homes this last week and finding up to 14,000 times the amount. That's absolutely shocking. My point is they knew about this, and that's and for him to stand there and say, what, what dioxin? We don't know. We're not sure. That's, that, I mean, I, I, to me, that borderline's criminal. If your job is to make sure people are safe and making sure the environment is not affected, then, then that is criminal to me. And still, the point is it hasn't happened. And thank you to Deb for pointing this out. This was from a while ago, too. And here's the other one. And this, this is, so he's the EPA administrator. Now, these are the local officials. Here's, listen to what he says. It's the same point. The, you don't need anything other than really the points we already showed you, quite frankly. But here's what he says on the record. Back in February, end of February. Governor's administrator. Uh, I just want to, if I may, I just want to make a, a, a comment. This may be obvious, but I think it's important to point out got a Republican congressman and a Democratic congressman who are here, a Republican governor and a Democratic governor who have been working together on this matter since the moments after that train derailed, even before Norfolk Southern tipped us off to it. This is how government is supposed to work, and we're both working together with the Biden administration to make sure we draw down whatever federal resources there are, whatever federal help. Now, what's interesting to me, I thought about this earlier, isn't it, isn't it disgusting and frustrating how the only time you see the government plead with us about crossing party lines and working across and working together is when it suits their interests, right? Every other opportunity, it's about division and, and, and divide. But when it's something like this, where we're supposed to go, oh, let's focus on the unity of it all. <laughs> really? But the main point is what he said. Republican right here. governor and a Democratic governor who have been working together on this matter since the moments after that train derailed, even before Norfolk Southern tipped us off to it. This- okay, so let's be clear about this. Pennsylvania, so DeWine and Shapiro, is it Shapiro, right, Pennsylvania, as well as the local EPA were there within moments, according to him, 
before they even tipped him off about it. And yet we're still pretending like they weren't involved with these decisions. It's pretty pathetic. But that's what happens when you can get away with this stuff because partisanship allows these things to fly. Well, here he is, just this clip, just saying this. And I said, this is exactly my point. It means they all collectively, if they were all there within two hours, made the conscious measure decision to do the one thing that they all knew, which we can prove they knew, would make this the biggest environmental disaster possibly in U.S. history. Then, apparently kept under wraps for 10 days. Now it's all an accident. And as uh, Arlix here says, the EPA was, but establishment news weren't. Think about that. Really? Do you really believe that? Not a word for, for about what it was 10 days or so? Makes you wonder, then, does the news media actually serve the interest of the people? Obviously, that's no. But think about how ridiculous that is. So these people were aware. People have contacts in the EPA and the government, or maybe, who knows, maybe not anymore. Maybe they just blindly spit out what they're told. But the point is that the media would be aware of this if they operated the way we're told. 10 days. Something much bigger happened here. I think it's just not up for debate. Now, remember, guys, that this is how crazy this conversation is to me. Now, what we're going to get to is the point about Scott C. Smith finding this very, very ridiculously high level. In this furnace, they found 14,038% higher, higher levels of dioxins than compared to the control. This is testing as of June 15th in people's homes. He said the affected Palestinian residents had in their furnace filters dioxin levels of 2,245%, 4,038%, and then 14,038% respectively higher dioxin levels than the non-plume impacted controls. And yet, they're, but they're, they're lying though. This is a catastrophic level of cover-up, guys. And I think it has to do largely with the worry that we're going to be aware of something they've been covering up for decades. So just to be clear about this, this is what blows me away. That this is we we've been covering this since the moment this started. But you can understand it's in February. People were like, "We're sick. We're struggling, right?" And, okay, well, yeah, we're you know they kind of pushed it off as we're dealing with it. We're dealing with it. But here's March seventeenth, right? This is the Guardian, March seventeenth, at a time when they were saying everything's fine. There's no problem. The EPA on the record is going. There is not a problem. We've tested. The air is fine. The Guardian reports in March, levels of carcinogenic chemical near Ohio derailment site far above the safe limit. As we've shown you many times, they found this in regard to this. This was uh, the levels they found in two soil samples up to 14 times higher than dioxin levels in other states. This is in March. So even the Guardian is reporting this and understand this is at a time when they weren't testing for this. I find that to be comically, in macabre way, ridiculous. Here is the next month. This is from April. East Palestine residents experiencing lesions, stomach pain, shortness of breath. We've covered this so many times. This goes into, I mean, you can read it for yourself. This is as of April, but it goes all the way to this day. I can prove it to you. People suffering this. What is it? Where's it coming from? Now, of course, you could argue that there might be an overlap with other things going on, like the injection conversation or whatever else. But the fact that you can so cutely tie this to the, their problems began directly after this, after the derailment, and that the symptoms are quite literally what you would expect with what they're supposed to be dealing with, according to the EPA's own website. 
But then, of course, it went away in June, right? Nope. Nope. It kept happening. Well, actually, this is just still April. This is the other point about seven CDC workers. So after, as they're going, you guys are fine. You're lying. It's all stress. The CDC shows up in April. More than half of the team fell ill with the exact same symptoms that the rest of the people in the town were suffering from. And guess what they called it? Fatigue. Not joking. East Palestine residents scream for emergency declaration months after the derailment. This is into June. Now, I quite frankly think that demanding an emergency declaration is the last thing they should do. I don't think giving the government emergency powers over the area is going to help them at all, quite frankly. But I mean, but nonetheless, all it shows you is that they're desperate, guys. Four months afterward, and nobody's helping these people. It's been four months. She said the house still smells like chemicals. She gets rashes. A trip home not long after the spill made her vomit. But when she goes back today, she still gets headaches. But it's all fake news, though, according to the EPA. Months after the derailment, as of June 23rd, East Palestine residents are still getting sick, News Nation. June 1st, my kids have been sick for three and a half months. At what point do we realize that this is about as obvious as it gets? Now, here's the craziest part is that they're acting on the front of this, like on the corporate media from the national level, that everyone's doing everything they can and everything's getting better and it's all going away and we're destroyed. That's not what's happening. Ashley Thompson points out this is still happening. She posted this on June 16th. Residents of East Palestine are sick and are being ignored in hopes that they'll just be silent. And Status Coup pointed out that they declare they're asking for the declaration of emergency, right? But when they go to do so, they get, they're literally being removed from the statehouse. Quote, if Governor DeWine does not declare an emergency, there are lots of residents who can't, who can't get help. And here's a video of them literally removing, removing mothers and people there because they're protesting what's happening. But they're there for them, right? At what point do people stand? I mean, this is what grosses me out about the corporate media, all the politicians. Where is everybody? I guess they only care when it's something they can use to benefit their political career, right? This is the most obvious situation. I mean, it's one of the most obvious situations happening today. Here's another example. This is from June 15th. Just unconscionable. Residents of East Palestine have been in a nightmarish limbo for four months. He said he's interviewed many of them. They can't go home or drink the water. Their kids are sick. They're begging to declare a state of emergency. Again, what happens is they get forced out of the area. Now, here's the main point. Scott C. Smith posts this on June 15th as well. Additional soil and furnace filter testing in East Palestine this week, last month, and recent furnace filters, resulting results showing a non-plume impacted area in Salem, Ohio, which is the control, versus plume impacted residents that had health symptoms. Now, I'd like to actually, I'd love to dig into this with him specifically and find out what the non, what the control area was, because the whole point is that it was still a problem. Or rather, just that there were dioxins, which is something that we need to wrap our minds around, guys. That the area he's comparing it to, I, I'm willing to bet you my life, because we can prove to you that they've been covering this up for decades, that a lot of the areas in this country are over the safe levels right now, which I'll come back to this in a second. This goes back to 1994, or excuse me, 95. And I've shown you this. This is from the CNN environment back in 1994, speaking with an expert on this topic. And they found, they were at, this was a study that was done in 1994 at the behest of the government which you might want to ask why they were got silent about it ever since then. Now, they argue they did stuff to remove the industrial side of it, but they clearly didn't stop everything else that was happening if that even actually truly stopped. But the point is they found all the way back then, 
that in the food you were eating, fast food specifically, Big Macs, Pizza Hut, Kentucky Fried Chicken, they saw about 8 to 150 times the dioxin levels the EPA felt would be safe. In 1995, as far as we can tell, it only got worse. We'll come back to that. Now, that point, though, is that there's a huge background problem which is the game they played. That a lot, like one of the points I was making about the guy earlier that I feel was, <clears throat> excuse me, saying things that aren't exactly accurate in my opinion, right here. One of them was the idea about the the the, the reason that they were the EPA. I don't. I can argue. I I think I, unless there's some statement I haven't seen has never argued that it was safe. They don't say that it's safe. They simply say that it is below certain levels. Or they look at it and say, well, we don't want to test for dioxins because, well, there's already a background problem. Well, so what they're ultimately saying is that we know there's a problem. So if we test for it, we're going to be forced to admit that the level's higher than it should be for any circumstance. But they go, we're not going to test at all because then there's no control. Well, that's a self-serving argument. So he found an area that he, that he argues is a control, and he tested against that. So realize that even that has levels of dioxins. Note the effect that East Palestine residents had in their furnace filters. Dioxin levels of 2,245%, 4,038%, and 14,038% respectively in these different locations. That's that, that 14,038% higher dioxin levels than the non-plume impacted controls. That is mind-blowing. We continue, he says, to make progress on getting to the truth for the affected residents of East Palestine, Ohio, and surrounding communities from the Norfolk Southern train derailment. My offer remains open to the public information officers, PR people, and all government agencies to test side by side. Of course, they don't want to do that. I wonder why. Norfolk Southern Battalion of PR people and lobbyists will not be able to escape the truth for the four Ds, delay, deny, discredit, dismiss, and are not going to work in East Palestine. Much gratitude to the few in the U.S. media, international media, that are covering this story. I forgot to tweet that. So you can look and you can see him on the ground testing. I'd like to get more information on this in general. But we interviewed him before, so if you guys want to check that out, we go through his information, and it's very clear what's going on. Now here, after this, this is from June 30th. So this is three days ago. Or three, four days, or 31st, I forget. So just a few days ago. The only thing I want to show you is what they keep saying right here. Air monitoring continues at 15 locations and on and on and on. The EPA continues to review preliminary and final air sample data, which supports air monitoring trends that air quality has remained below screening levels. See my point? Which then gets reported by some people in the media as they're claiming that it's safe. That's not what they're technically saying. They're saying it's below screening levels. What's that mean? Is the screening level dangerous? But then they get into what they're doing, removing soil, excavation of contaminated soil debris, and what they're doing with it. Which, by the way, as they do that, it drums up lots of vapors and and dust, which cause the same problems. That's why, arguably, or why I think they don't want to do certain testing. But realize that as of right now, they are still claiming that it's completely safe. There is not a problem. We know that's not true. Well, now we get into the other side of this. That as they're shuttling this stuff around the country, or actually more specifically right now inside Ohio, all they're doing is spreading the problem around. Both while they ship it, but also how they 
fail to actually deal with the problem. And, and on top of that, there's places where there's shit. Like, I've gone over this in depth that they, up until this moment, have been using locations that I proved to you on the record does not have the ability to deal with dioxins, which is probably why they didn't want to test so they could act like they didn't know for sure. EPA forcing Ohio toxic waste on facilities literally not able to process dioxins, PFAS, as well as a lot of other things. It's not hard to prove, guys. You can call these locations for yourself, clean harbors in particular. They don't have incinerators. And I'll make that point more clear as we go forward, but I've made this point endlessly. Incineration is the only way this can work, upwards of 12, 1,250 degrees Fahrenheit. But the point is that that, that even in and itself, has been argued has been argued by plenty of experts to never even be able to remove it entirely, which I'll even show you a document that makes that claim. Then whether it's 99-something percent, you still have some of it that burns and continues to float back in the atmosphere. And if we're talking about parts per trillion, then that may just be enough. But on top of that, realize that they're shipping it to places that literally don't have incinerators, which means they, they are not dealing with this, which means they are they're either burying it in the ground, injecting it into deep areas in the ground, or liquid doing some kind of liquid process none of those are able to deal with dioxins easy to prove here's the other one i went further and both of these have direct phone calls on the record you can listen to for yourself where i ask them can you deal with this do you have the ability to process these things no we don't have incinerators okay because they don't think they're dealing with that they think they're dealing with vinyl chloride or dirt whatever else they're being sent because the epa is not telling them or they're all collectively ignoring it however you want to look at it This is from June 23rd. After the Ohio train derailment, evacuations, toxic chemicals, and water worries. New York Times. Controlled release. Great journalism, guys. Like, this is just such towing the line. You ask them and they tell you. Even if they, this is how I envision this going. Is even a New York Times goes, well, wait a minute. Was it it controlled? Because I'm hearing it was controlled. EPA goes, yes, it was for sure, because that's our definition. Okay, then you write it down. That's not journalism. To to just repeat what you're being told by journalism is supposed to be speaking truth to power. It's not hard to prove that it was not controlled release, but that's the toad line, even through half the independent media. It's pathetic. But on February 6th, the authorities released the toxic materials from five tankers, it says, and the contents were delivered to a trench and burned off. Right. So a trench with no lining. We already proved to you that they had planning. They mapped this out with the DOD. So you're telling me that they had time to map it out, to plan it. National Guard, the DOD, and yet they still didn't put anything on the ground? Make sense of that for me. You know how long it would take to lay something down on the ground? If they had enough time to literally map this out, to game plan this, to then play it out, like like some kind of defense uh, exercise, And then went forward and said, yes, out of these two choices, that's the one we're going to do. And all that time, and nobody thought to put something on the ground? There's no way they didn't know what they were doing. Think about how crazy that is. They're aware that this was a highly volatile chemical. They had plenty of time, plenty. they had enough time to at least lay out some kind of barrier and chose not to. I mean, my God, what more do we need to see? I guarantee that causes some very severe lasting problems for even just what went into the ground, let alone was burned off and into the air. An initial report from the NTSB was released on February 23rd, although a wheel bearing had been heating up, the report said, an alarm did not sound to alert the crew to check the hot axle until just before the rail. Like this is the most, this is a a line towing exercise. They don't go any deeper. This is just an overview of the narrative from New York Times journalism. How about you include the part that the 
the what the regulations that were changed or the fact that the heat the, the level was well over so many hundred or hundred something degrees which was well past the level of concern the only reason they chose not to do anything is because the company had changed their arbitrary level and told the person to not that that all happened we went over this so that is aggressive account like that that should be criminal right there you you by an incompetence or profiteering let this happen but nope they don't care about that part it says the EPA said on February 12th that it had not detected contaminants at levels of concern. What does that mean? Levels of concern. Well, clearly we're all, everyone else seems to be detecting those chemicals from day one right up until right now. But they checked for VOCs, as we've already talked about. That's why you guarantee that you would not find what they were looking They were checking for broad things that weren't, that's not what they should have been looking for. Scott C. Smith, Wilton, uh, Petty, all of them said the same thing. You can't look, you won't find what you're not looking for, right? They keep choosing to not look for it. That's all that's happening. So up to this moment, despite all the evidence, they're just simply, nope, it's below levels. February 21st, the EPA ordered Norfolk Southern to identify and clean up contaminated soil and water, right? This is my point from before. So clearly they have the authority to dictate what happens. They just waited to see how it played out first before they stepped in and goes, nope, wait, you're doing it wrong. Well, that's a real smart way to play it with super dangerous chemicals and, and waste, right? Let's see what happens. Clearly, something else is going on, guys. Reimburse the EPA for cleaning businesses. The point is they say, well, if they, they said, well, if they do it wrong, we'll just charge them three times the cost. So that's how you play it. We're going to let them feel it out. And you can be the byproduct. The bent, the, the, you'll be hurt by whatever they do or don't do. And we'll just charge them extra if they do. <laughs> that's so stupid. I just, it makes you laugh at how ridiculous that is. So all we care about is you being reimbursed? What about my family's health? Mr. DeWine, a Republican, said on February 15th that tests conducted by EPA showed no contaminants in the municipal water system. The EPA instructed Norfolk Southern to test for dioxins, toxic pollutants that could have formed under the chemical burn-off and which can cause cancer, interfere with hormones, cause damage to reproduction. Oh, I see how the game's being played. We ordered them to do it. Norfolk Southern says, well, you told EPA said they were going to do it. Yeah, that's how it works out. We look back three years later, and they're both pointing at each other like the scarecrow from Wizard of Oz. Well, they were supposed to. We didn't know. The EPA is responsible. There's no way around this. The federal, the EPA, the government is responsible. So if you ordered them to do it, and they didn't do it. It's your fault. But that's not how they're going to play it, are they? They don't want to test for it. The derailment and its impact upended an area where generations of families could afford to buy land. That's an interesting thing to think about. We've talked about the, the land grab and the idea of the, the, the agriculture in the area, food supply. Part of it, on top of all of that, it's just an area where historically a lot of families were able to afford land when they couldn't in the bigger cities. And now you've got this gigantic area where people may not want to anymore. Maybe they're deciding to go back into the cities. Maybe that's the point. Many residents said raising livestock and working the soil were important to them. Things they don't want you to care about anymore. Alan Shaw, Norfolk Southern's chief executive, said during a visit on April or February 18th that hazardous materials were being cleaned up. Liquid waste was disposed in a well at a facility in Vickery. And solid waste was being shipped to an incinerator in East Liverpool. Well, let's talk about that. So first of all, before this ever, we've already proven to you that there was multiple locations, but some outside of Ohio, some inside, that were being used, that were guaranteed to be spreading this stuff around because they were not dealing with it properly. 
easy to prove. Please watch the entire show. Listen to the phone calls with those actual locations. You know, what actual research and journalism looks like, not just towing a line. But here, it's just a quick search. This is just a quick search shows you about the location that they're using. So it's clear we're talking about Vickery and a location in East Liverpool. Now, what you'll find is that's called Heritage. And I'll show you that in a second. So the Heritage Thermal Services Hazardous Waste Incinerator in East Liverpool has been the subject of controversy for 30 years. Oh, here we go. So the very first thing you find is they're choosing to pick the one that is the most controversial, the one that's been caught for what? Doing, like, this is how this tends to work. It's like when you hire the liar. Or, you know, let's go work with Neil Ferguson at the Imperial College of London because he lies just the way we like. That's how I think this plays out. In 2019, the Department of Defense sued Heritage Thermal Services for failing to conduct an environmental review before hiring an incinerator to dispose of the foam. The suit claims that bringing the foam... So clearly, there's all this controversy about exactly what... So this is the company you want to use for one of the biggest problems we've ever seen in this country? Yep. Probably because they don't care. Here's a great article written by Corporate America, who's one of our community members, and I think it's important to revisit. He, He was writing about this in March 23rd. How chemical cleanup leads to harmful exposure. He writes, in an already poorly handled situation, the same people who created the mess are being tasked with finding ways to clean it up. With a history riddled with corruption and mismanagement, even the solution can lead to problems. East Palestine is already no stranger to outsource management of disaster. This is the group I was mentioning earlier. As was discussed in his first piece, and you can link, he has a link to it, um, and revealed by Kanoa on Substack, the Center for Toxicology and Environmental Health, which is the independent contracting agency Norfolk Southern contract contacted to test the air and water in East Palestine after the chemical burning, has a long history of corporate collusion and corruption leading to unsafe conditions being labeled safe for human exposure. It's easy to look up. It's quite literally the company you hire if you want to lie about what's going on. That's not even my opinion. There's been Guardian articles written about this, mainstream articles. So you think about how crazy, and realize this is the people the EPA is going, we trust, what the, we trust the results. We trust the studies. I wonder why. Similarly, one of the companies being outsourced by the EPA to deal with the incineration of contaminated soil, Heritage Thermal Services, has a history of leakage and air pollution at their East Liverpool, Ohio incinerator. According to a piece published by The Guardian on March 4th, Heritage Thermal Services is no stranger to controversy. It says the incinerator owned by Heritage Thermal Services is already burning PFAS waste from the Department of Defense, which prompted a federal lawsuit from a coalition of local environmental groups right so you've got the dod quite literally having them burn things they're well aware are not being incinerated and so you got groups going what are you doing suing because of that heritage also faced an investigation and enforcement action from the epa in 2015 after officials determined the facility had violated the clean air act nearly 200 times between the year 2000 and the 2014 but yeah let's use them Built right on the Ohio Riverbank, of course, because that's the safest way to do it, right? The the Heritage Thermal Services Hazardous Waste Incinerator has been subject to controversy since it opened in 1992. The contamination of water and airways is not a new site for East Liverpool residents. In an an article published by local news station uh, in February 27, 2023, the history of lawsuits is cataloged. In 2007, the incinerator. The same one they're telling you they're being used right now to to take care of this problem, then operated under the name Waste Technologies Industries, or WTI. They agreed to pay more than $750,000 to settle the claims over emissions from chemicals in storage 
while awaiting incineration. In 2015, the EPA said the hazardous waste incinerator released dangerous toxins into the air over the past four years, exposing those nearby to chemicals that can cause cancer, miscarriages, and early death. In 2016, plaintiffs Save Our Country filed a lawsuit against Heritage Heritage Thermal over excess emissions in the U.S. District Court of the Northern District of Ohio. The case was settled. Now realize, what you're going to hear in other arguments is that the, the EPA stepped in and they made it safe. Well, explain for me how in 2007 they can step in and then it's still dangerous. Or in 2015 they can step in and yet it's still dangerous, right? Then It's very obvious that they don't really make it more. They step in and manage. In 2016, it was still hurting people, even after the EPA stepped in and made it better. The pollution and harm that comes with the way hazardous waste is treated and disposed of isn't an isolated case right, related to uh, this one location, Heritage Thermal Services in East Liverpool but rather just another ubiquitous problem that comes with the way industrial processes are handled or the lack thereof, the lack of care for them. Although patterns of behavior can very easily by rec- be re- can easily be recognized and established, as was discussed in a report dated February 8, 2022, for the PFAS Project Lab, quote, the city's East End neighborhood is home to a hazardous waste incinerator with a checkered past. This is 2022. For decades, the facility on the banks of the Ohio River has faced fines for violating federal air quality laws and accusations that its toxic emissions have damaged the health of the surrounding community. Now, the plant is working to burn hazardous waste sent by the U.S. military, a process that Alonzo Spencer, a local environmental activist, is doing all he can to stop. Spencer's organization, Save Our Country, sued the federal government two years ago in an attempt to prevent hundreds of thousands of toxic Hundreds of thousands of gallons of toxic firefighting foam from being incinerated in facilities like the one in East Palestine, or excuse me, East Liverpool. So they know this, guys. Even when they were doing this two years ago, they knew there was a problem there, and they just don't care. The same reason they that once we become aware, they outsource it somewhere or other places in the world because they care about human life and safety and equality. And no, guys, because they care about their agenda. Burn pits are one of the largest contaminations of of the world, as far as I can tell. Now, it says in his original article on the train derailment, the link is here you can check out, you heard that the EPA was refusing to test for dioxins. Now, earlier, they were. Then when you got put to it, and they said they were talking about it. The point is, they said, do it, Norfolk, and nothing has happened since. But the reason they gave, and this is what we were talking about, was that because dioxins are already prevalent in the environment at high rates, and that there was never a proper base statistic provided to compare to current levels, which is not even accurate, as we proved on the show. But so they argue that it's high, but we don't know. So we can't just test and then we don't, know how, we don't know how to make sense of the data. But yeah, we do. They are essentially arguing that they would not be able to tell if the area was toxic due to the derailment or if toxic levels were simply just present in the environment already, which, by the way, is because of their incompetence and malfeasance to begin with. This raised a lot of red flags. He says, why is the admission that dioxins are already prevalent enough in the environment to be dangerous not a headline in and of itself? One of the things I've been asking the entire time, this logic follows for all highly dangerous and infinitesimal chemicals in the environment that were undoubtedly worsened, or at least dangers surrounding them were heightened following that derailment. The EPA won't test because they don't want to reveal to the public that contamination of the environment is already a ubiquitous problem that we just have to deal with. This isn't just a working theory either. The EPA's own document, the Drinking Water Health Advisory, or PFOS, released in May of 2016, 
found this alarming fact. The link is right here for you to read for yourself. PFAS was detected in the blood serum of up to 99% of the U.S. population between 1999 and 2012. In case you didn't hear that properly. One of these other levels of chemicals in the same family that are dangerous in their own estimation, their own test, was found in 99% of the general population's blood. In 1999-2012. So you're telling me post-2012 they were able to figure this out. And yet we weren't being told about that? There was no real actions made to actually stop the problem? You starting to see the bigger issue here? It would be damning enough if this was only a pe- the only piece of information revealed in the EPA's own documentation, but it's not. PFOS and other PFAS have been reported in wastewater and biosolids as a result of manufacturing activities, disposal of coated paper and other consumer products, and from washing of stain-repellent fabrics. So they're very aware this has been bleeding into the atmosphere or the environment for decades. Now, they pretend that they were doing something about this, but as far as I can tell, it's only gotten worse, and the manufacturing processes are gigantically worse. Or things like benzene, for example, where you can prove that they've been aware it's been super dangerous since its inception. In, in, in regard to how it's being used. And you find it in toys and sunscreen. It's everywhere. How do you make sense of that? It's either sinister, like actual harming you intentionally, or they just don't care about you. Either one should be pretty concerning. Lastly, he says, ultimately the story of East Palestine derailment shines a light on the bigger role that the EPA plays in avoiding and sometimes outright refusing to deal with serious environmental and health concerns that come at the expense of our industrialized world. That's likely what the EPA's real mandate is, to just ju- to just gaslight and maintain the illusion that these things are necessary, to the point to almost, almost saying that these things are expected. Oh, you know, one thing I... Well, let me finish reading this, and I'll show you one thing I forgot to show you. It's saying that the Harvard Edward J. Safra Center for Ethics sums up the entire situation. The EPA has a vast mandate protecting air, water, land, and people from pollutants. But year after year, through both Republican and Democrat administrations and congresses, strong economics, excuse me, strong economies and weak ones, the institution fails the American public in many ways. The evidence abounds. Of course, they don't want to talk about that. And if you point out your conspiracy theorists, despite the fact that it's easy to prove, reports by the Government Accountability Office, formerly the General Accounting Office, EPA's own inspectors generals. I hate that. Inspectors general is actually the way it's been. And the media have long documented EPA's inability to guard Americans from toxic chemicals, mining waste, leaking Superfund sites, greenhouse gas emissions, contaminated water, air pollutants, and other Hazards. Now, you could argue that's just because they can't deal with it, but isn't that a problem in and of itself that no one wants to talk about? But it's quite obvious they take actions that allow... This is obfuscation, guys. For a government agency dedicated to protecting the environment, ostensibly anyway, there is a laundry list of negligence and misfeasance, malfeasance that has resulted in the direct harm of both the environment and the general health of the public. Although steps have been taken to reduce public exposure to harmful chemicals, He points out, for example, California's public health goal for TCDD and drinking water. Again, showing you that they're very aware that it's there, alternatively acting like they don't know what it is when it's important. It seems that either these come too little or too late. Or, on the flip side, 
that pollution is allowed to scrape by with minimal consequences. The EPA never seems to be the one mitigating damage outright. Rather, they simply respond after unacceptable levels of pollution, likely because it's too hard to hide anymore, and chemical exposure have occurred, and their response is minimal. It's a far cry from what's expected of an actual regulatory agency, leaving environmentalists to pick up the pieces in legal proceedings and nonprofit on the ground labor through testing and mitigation practices. East Palestine and surrounding residents should be aware of the risks associated with the proposed solutions to the problems created by the uncontrolled burn that took place on February 3rd. Absolutely crazy. So here, I want to show you this other, a map really quickly, actually, just to show you the, the location this is, that this is going through. So right, here's the map, right? So we talked about them shipping before outside of Ohio. Just so you guys understand where East Liverpool is, I mean, this is, this is less than 30 minutes away from East Palestine. I mean, think about the insulting reality that they're literally shipping this stuff 30 minutes away in a location that I argue is not going to deal with this. At the very least, even the shipping process allows this to be more and more problematic. I mean, we already showed you examples of trucks tipping over on the way to their locations. I mean, everything about this seems problematic. It's concerning. And then we get into the point we just made, in fact, which is that the places they're using have a history of corruption, of lying, obfuscation. Now here, hazardous waste issues pertaining to an incinerator in East Liverpool. Right. So now we're talking about specifically East Liverpool, the location we're talking about. And this is a report, guess what, from 1994. It says about 5 million tons of hazardous waste are incinerated each year in the United States. And I realize that just that right that there alone deserves more research because realize that all five tons of that hazardous waste incinerated are causing byproducts. And even when done to the utmost of precaution, like just doing it the as best as possible, as, as meticulous and trying to do your best to stop the flu, the, uh, the flu ash and the waste and stuff that's flying out to, to not spread, you still don't always and almost always don't capture it all. To realize that this seems like an, a willful ignorance to what this, what this could cause. But it says about half of this is burned in 20 commercial incinerators and 24 cement kilns. Now, that's what kilns or what I understand it are the sought after best possible scenario for dioxins. But again, most of the experts you talk to would tell you that there is no ability. There is no way to actually get rid of dioxins. There's a lot of the discussion about the incinerators. Now, that's what should be used. So that's how it gets framed. But when you really dig in, it turns out that most people argue it's not even possible that they cannot be got, that they've created a byproduct that's so dangerous because of what they've done. It's not something that's naturally there. They've created this that they don't know how to get rid of. So they just move forward. Now they just tell us that that's the best possible way. Public opposition to incineration has been strong in recent years. Some have become skeptical about the management of commercial incinerators, the ability of government agencies to regulate them, and whether existing laws and regulations adequately protect the public and the environment. Of course, that whole conversation got shut down. Nobody's even talking about that anymore. But the point was, it never really stopped. What they're doing is dangerous. What we need to do is stop manufacturing dangerous things to burn. But of course, profit and control in corporate industry is more important than your life. 
a hazardous waste incinerator run in East Liverpool, Ohio, has become the focus of national attention. So they have a nationally concerning incinerator that is currently being used to get rid of 30 minutes away the things that they're sending from East Palestine. This is by, by which the EPA approved permits for the facility, showing you yet again the EPA is approving a place that is repeatedly shown to be not doing its job. What does that say about the EPA? This report examines the operational control and ownership of this WTI at the time, which runs the East Liverpool incinerator, and whether its hazardous waste permit is valid, whether EPA and the state of Ohio have complied with these regulations, and EPA's ability to ensure the human health and environment are protected during the operation. There's a bunch in here. Let me make sure I don't miss something. Big, long document. I think that was one right there. So this says under conclusions, it, the, and this is a few different parts of this. And this is one of the conclusions. It raises questions of whether the operational control uh, and ownership of W2I has, a, has legally changed without a required modification of their permit. Opponents also have questioned whether as a result of these changes, their permit is valid. The point being that they argue that the EPA might have been paying it, playing it fast and loose to allow this place to have a permit. In modifying the permit, the EPA, in effect, waived its own procedural regulations. Now, of course, this, the study finds that, well, if we look in technically, the argument can be made from Supreme Court that the EPA has the authority to modify these things. Well, that makes no sense at all. Why then have these kind of uh, regulations if apparently you can allow the EPA to modify them when it suits their interest, which is what they literally argue. So it's within their prerogative to change the blah, blah, blah. Okay. But the point is, regardless of whether it was legal, the EPA changed, modified the permit, and waived its own procedural regulations, which is what they did, to make sure this place got a permit. Does that start to sound fishy? It should, but with what we know about it today, seeing as how this is decades old, this report. This report was before we were hearing about, actually, wait, make sure. Yeah, 94. So this is well before we saw all the other reports about what happened at these locations. Right. The multiple years where they were having problems at these locations. So this is before that. Which shows you that the EPA continued to give them permits and they continued to cause problems. Now, what else does that begin to look like other than a Neil Ferguson scenario? Right. Where you're essentially being paid to be the scapegoat in a way. Now, these are just my opinions. There we go. Under study results, it says of the, you know, these are just a couple of interesting points that are in addition to this. Of the 427 children that were tested during the screening period around this area, results show that 16 of them had high levels of lead in their blood. Do you realize that's 26%? 26% of the children around this incinerator had high levels of lead in their blood. Now, that's not even that crazy because this country is overwhelmed with the lead. And like Flint, Michigan was just one example that still apparently has never been fixed because that makes sense. And well, it should because we're watching East Palestine go through the same treatment. But the point is that lead, Derek Rose has written about this. Our water in this country, the infrastructure is collapsing. And that's why we're talking about using PVC pipes for new ones, even though that's just a new problem. We're getting rid of lead, but we're giving you dioxins and all the rest of the byproducts from these disgusting pipes. But on top of that, we just showed you the, 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 uh, infl- the, the inlay resin discussion. Remember that? That's, their, that's what they're d- using instead because, well, it's too expensive and time-consuming to just relay new pipe. So we're going to use this stuff where we pipe, we pump in this resin, we inflate it, we heat it into its place, and then we use it. My God, it's, it's incredible. I mean, let me see if I even have that still. Damn. 
Here we go. I just have the article. I don't know where or which show I had this in, but this is just the article. We just talked about this. Dozens of students sickened as they do this piping. You know why? Because they know this is what it causes. Now, the USA Today did their own research, apparently, and all over the country. There's dozens of examples of that they pipe, they do this stuff. Here's the actual way it looks right here. Where was it? Right here? Somewhere in here. Oh, I swear it was in there. There it is. Right? So they, they have these old lead piping, and they, they pump this stuff in, then they inflate it, and then they heat it up in place. Now, that alone, does that sound like something healthy to run water through? through? It's not. And you can prove that by their own documentation. But on top of that, the process is very damaging. It, you can see that just being this close to the schools right here, they did this on the street and this entire school was evacuated. People, people were vomiting, cascading vomiting from room to room. And it's still happening, by the way. And they know that's what's causing it. And they knew, you know why? Because the administration went over to them and said, what's happening? <laughs> they were told it was happening and they still didn't. And they're still using it. This is the problem, guys. Your regulatory agencies, your government don't care about you. You are being played. That is dangerous because they're trying to save money. And it's not even like potentially dangerous going forward. It's like we're in real time causing people to vomit as we do this. And we can prove to you that it's it's best haphazard to run water through this dangerous stuff. But it's better because we'll save some money. Well, 16, 26% of the children have lead in their blood. According to the Ohio Department of Health and Centers for Disease Control, blood level of 15 micrograms per deciliter or greater in a child requires follow-up. It says all 16 of the children identified had an assessment of their homes. Of course, they found lead in all but one. I'm sure that's very self-serving. You can find lead in all sorts of things. Does that mean that that's why they have a dangerously high level of blood, lead in their blood? I don't know about that. But it says only five of the 16 children with elevated blood lead values return. So they were supposed to come back. Five of them did come back. And guess what? Two of the children still had levels in their blood. Okay, so now at this point, you've checked their homes and you've been like, oh, it's the paint. Oh, it's this over here. But two of them came back and still had high levels. So what else? Something is still clearly going on. But of course, they just continue to kind of downplay it. I just thought that was an interesting point. Showing you that there's all sorts of stuff going on that nobody's paying attention to. Now, it says the EPA and Ohio EPA found numerous violations during their visit and air inspections of East Liverpool. Now, of course, 1994, we already know this, but the point is that it's obvious this was a problem. The inability of lake trout to reproduce in Lake Ontario has been attributed to dioxin contamination. Why is it that we know this, or they know this, at such acute levels, and nobody even knows what these things are until East Palestine? The inability of lake trout to reproduce? How much you want to bet people in Lake Ontario have no idea, and they are fishing and eating that trout every day? How much you want to bet? They can't even reproduce because of that high level of dioxins? In addition, it says dioxins are are a carcinogen in all species examined. Here's what always continues to make me sick. They're aggressively aware. Everybody knows, based on the research, even the EPA, this is a very obvious carcinogen. But what do they do? They continue to say it's a likely carcinogen, like everything else. Nothing ever for the rest of time is a carcinogen. That's all likely carcinogens. You know why? Because they don't want to make it clear. Because then they have to acknowledge that these things are hurting people. That's my opinion. But again, everything you see shows you this is damaging. According to EPA's experts, all Every single one of the 17 studies in both of these sexes of rats, mice, hamsters are positive. Every one of them show you cancer-causing problems. 
Tumors have been observed in every one of the animals following even low levers of le lever, excuse me, low levels of dioxin exposure, which is one of the points I keep making. Even very low levels are very dangerous. The point is, it's unquestionable. Every single study, every animal, they all got cancer. But you know where this is going, right? They conclude it is a, that they, there's still insufficient evidence to conclude. It's, that's what they argue. So every single study finding it, every animal getting sick, but that's not sufficient? What exactly is sufficient? Apparently nothing. It says, according to the EPA, until recently, the only response that had been documented in people as a result of exposure to dioxin was chloracne. And we've talked about this. That's exactly what people are still dealing with in East Palestine. It is now clear that chloracne is a response, guess what, guys, to very high levels of dioxin. Right. So all these people that were breaking out with rashes all over their face, well, that's because they were, con they were in contact with potentially 14,000% higher levels of dioxin, according to what C. Scott C. Smith is finding. All the evidence points in the exact direction you might think, and we're still baffled. We're confused. It's, we don't know what's going on, the EPA says. Everything, including the smells in the beginning, it was all examples of very high levels of problems. We showed you this at the time. Or high levels of concentration, I should say. While the presence of chloracne is absolute evidence that exposure to dioxin or a related chemical has occurred. Hear that again. This is the EPA's own assessment. It's saying while, or rather specifically, this is the government's report of the EPA assessment. It's saying while the presence of that chloracne that we saw that was diagnosable is absolute evidence that exposure to dioxins have occurred. Absolute. Apparently not today, though. The absence, they say, though, is in no way proved that it's not there. There's no way around how clear this is. The EPA stated its position that although recent studies have provided additional support to conclude that it is a probable carcinogen, the studies are still insufficient. How pathetic is that? I mean, seriously, ask yourself, what would, then what would be sufficient? 18 studies where they all get sick? 19? 130? Apparently nothing, because you can, every study shows the same thing, and we're not sure. That, that is your, the whole game of your paycheck incentivizing you not to see it. Currently, it says, that under the doc dioxin reassessment, currently in 1994, the EPA's Office of Research and Development is undertaking a major reassessment of the toxic properties of dioxin and the related family of dioxin-like compounds. Clearly, they were concerned in 1994. The reassessment is looking at the toxic effects of a whole family of dioxin-like compounds. This family includes both polychlorinated and polybrominated uh, dibenzo-P dioxin. Remember that? We're going to talk about that next. And other, other dioxins. The, the reassessment is looking at the full range of toxic effects of these compounds. Now, they clearly found out how serious this was. They even went on to use it to try to assassinate a president in Ukraine, which you can look up for yourself. But I don't want you to know that. The reassessment involves conducting both new laboratory studies in well as well as a careful review and evaluation of all published dioxin literature. So if we're pretending they're not acutely aware of all this information, even back then, stuff that I've shown you, that's been there. They're well aware. Ask yourself why this got buried for 20 years. The full draft report will be made available for public comment and will be submitted to the EPA Science Advisory Board for peer review. The final two-volume document should be issued in the spring of 1995, which again is where this discussion came from where they're telling you, my God, almost 150 times the level. It wasn't secret. 
According to the EPA, the dioxin reassessment is being conducted using a new scientific approach that focuses on identifying and understanding the specific biological mechanisms by which dioxin compounds generate the toxic, their toxic effects. The reassessment is at the cutting edge of technologic, toxicological, toxicological science. And through this approach, EPA is gaining significant new insight into the toxicological complexities of the dioxin-like compounds. Yeah, they sure as hell are. Just didn't share it with you. Ask yourself why that makes sense. Is their job to keep you safe or to catalog risks and use them for future reference? Here, well, again, this was just their report showing you. This was everywhere. And they're telling you, oh, this was the other part too. As dioxins become airborne, you mean like in East Palestine? Uh-huh. It travels thousands of miles away. Yep. That's, now I'll show you this one as well. A report that goes all the way to the year 2000, I believe. Yep, September 2000. What is this talking about? Long-range air transport of dioxin from the United States to locations all the way in Arctic Canada. This is what, this is a, we went over this in depth. This is an Inuit community, what some people call incorrectly Eskimos in some cases. In Arctic Canada, there's not a dioxin location within 500 kilometers. This is what the report says. And yet they proved with the report that women who are breastfeeding their children have dangerously high levels of dioxins in their breast milk because of the United States, because of air sources from North America. That's it. And you're going to pretend for me? I mean, here, again, here's, that's why I showed you this. As they're telling you, well, they can they go airborne. It goes thousands of miles. And again, so we watch this happen. We watch this happen in this, 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 and we're not going to realize this means that thousands of miles away, dangerous levels of dioxins were floating. We have to be aware of this by now, but they don't care because they can act like it just is the background problem. It's everywhere. Well, here is the report about this location. This is the toxic waste incinerator in East Liverpool. And I just want to show you what we saw over the reference, that same point, the facility uses a rotary kiln incinerator. That's what they use in regard to this location. Now here, it's just to see the overlap. You can read more about this if you want. Developments on prospects of furans, dioxins, and remediation. Now, one point I thought was interesting in this. This is, called, this is from May 2023. Emission control and phase mitigation, migration of PCDDFs in the specifically the rotary kiln incinerator. And it talks specifically, again, what we just referenced about the benzo-P dioxins, which are just another, ver- another form of dioxin, less dangerous than TCDD, but still very dangerous. And the point is about whether or not this incinerator, as plenty of experts you can look up on, on all over the internet will tell you, it's not possible to actually incinerate these. Going back to the very beginning, it's become just the conversation. And, and this, again, I question even these numbers, but even these numbers will show you it's not absolute. The general removal efficacy of, of, of this specific process was 99.4%. That's using a kiln incinerator to, do, to get rid of, in this case specifically, the benzo-P dioxins. 99.4. That's medical waste. However, incineration conditions for hazardous waste, which is what we're dealing with, is 99.2%. So bottom line, it's, according to the peer-reviewed science, does not get rid of the dioxins. It gets most of them. 
which is what we've heard in some arguments. But again, this is coming from this. You can read the study for yourself. They're citing documentation that comes from EPA and so on. The point is there's plenty of experts that are like literal experts on this topic alone will tell you that it's not possible. Now, I don't know what the truth is. You can decide for yourself. But I do know that there are experts versus people that lie to us all the time saying this is not it's not even able to be removed. That it's a forever chemical like a PFAS. It's just not possible. Either way you look at it, I think we can clearly prove that whatever they're doing, it is not removing all of the risk. Now, here is that location again. This is this is the same East Liverpool incinerator. This is back in 2018. It feels like they've already put regulations on them and put penalties on them and took money from them, and it just keeps happening. The local residents are saying, we get sick. There's things that are problematic. We can see weird smoke. And every time the EPA comes in and does this and does that, and it just keeps happening. Does that sound familiar? Quote, this facility never should have been here in the first place from a legal standpoint and from a health standpoint, says Save Our Country, the, the group we talked about. Quote, but it's here now. So we, we would hope that they're monitoring them and following the rules. Residents of East Liverpool said they'd like to see this plant gone. Heritage Thermal Services, the one we're talking about this whole time, originally known as WTI. It says, quote, every time they get a new shipment in to burn. This is 2018. This is way past. So this has been four different times the EPA has stepped in to hold them accountable and nothing happens. They keep going and they keep making the same mistakes. And that's, again, that's the place the EPA made sure they got a permit and fudged their own rules to do so. It says, I call, uh, he says that you can look over if they get a new shipment and see pink smoke. I'm talking like dark pink. That's not normal. He called the EPA. He says, I called the EPA. I called a couple other people. And all they did was run me around the bush. That's all they basically did. And I, I, I like I said up there, my main concern is my three kids. My kids aren't safe in the city that's supposed to be safe. This is 2018 talking about the current location that they are sending East Palestine waste to. This is an article from The Guardian as well, March 4th. Plan to incinerate soil from Ohio train derailment is horrifying, says the expert. So, what, you know, who isn't recognizing the problem, right? Apparently, you've got a few cackling people on Twitter and the EPA in Norfolk Southern. And everybody else, including even corporate media, are saying, this is dangerous. People are being hurt. And the EPA goes, no, you're lying, says my narrative. It's staggering. Contaminated soil from the site around this train wreck is being sent to a nearby incinerator with a history of clean clean air violations, raising fears that the chemicals being removed from the ground will be redistributed. Now, realize, even according to the peer-reviewed science, if they do this by the book, which is near impossible as as I understand it, it's super meticulous that that's not getting rid of it all. Then you add that it's a group that doesn't even seem to care that continually is creating violence. I mean, that's where they're sending this. It says the new plan is horrifying. This is from a former EPA official. Why on earth would you take this already dramatic overburdened community and ship this stuff a few miles away? That's what's happening. Incinerating the soil is especially risky. Incinerating the soil is especially risky because some of the contaminants that residents and independent chemical experts fear is in the waste, like dioxins and PFAS, haven't been tested for. 
and they do not incinerate easily or cannot be incinerated. That is an EPA official, former, speaking on the record. You see my problem here? As the fire threatened to ignite tankers, I think the rest of it was just the story. I'll just, just leave it there. Now, the point here also, on just a bigger scale, this deserves more attention in and of itself. This is in the UK, but it's the same point here, guys. UK waste incinerators, three times more likely to be in poor neighborhoods. I wonder why. Because you don't have the resources to do anything about it. You can't just call your famous or high up friends and be like, make this stop, right? You just like East Palestine just gets stuck with the problem. Well, here's a study from 2019. Long-term fate of Agent Orange, otherwise known as TCDD. That's what this is. It's a combination of these herbicides they pretend was accidental. Turns out they were using a chemical weapon, guys. Shocking. The point is, in Vietnam, the fate is hor- it's horrific. You can read through this for yourself. Well, I, I did. I highlighted one part of it. The last part is what I wanted to show you. But I highlighted this ba- Air Force base, but there's a lot of other examples. It's this, this base in Vietnam. 40 kilometers northwest of this major city continues to be, in 2019, after all this time later, continues to be one of the mega hotspots where after 48 years, the dioxin TCDD levels in fish and shrimp are still high and fishing is actually banned in multiple areas around the airbase. Thanks, the United States government. Although expensive, one of the most effective, not completely effective is the point, but most effective ways to get rid of these in, in contaminated TCD soil is incineration, which is the recommended method. Even though you can prove that it does, it's just the best way. It's not the absolute way because I don't think there is one. But just think about how gross this is. It was it started as a weapon that they created and then went, oh, I mean, now that will really think about the how that it, it ended up becoming a nationwide problem. Here's just an article writing about this in general, the environmental legacy. Highly toxic dioxins can last over 100 years in the right conditions. That's what we're dealing with. Researchers believe that it persists longest in rivers and sea sediment. Fantastic. According to the WHI, the World Health Initiative, the health effects of consuming dioxins like TCDD include skin lesions, altered liver function, and impairment of the immune, nervous, and endocrine, and reproductive systems. It's also an EDC, which we've talked about. Olson and Wright Morton advise that the only way to destroy it is to incinerate. But I argue that's still not possible. Here is a larger report on the chemical detoxification of toxic chlorinated aromatic compounds. A lot of things in here are interesting. The main point in this was long-term stability of many toxic aromatic halogen materials, such as TCDD, has prevented disposal by landfill methods, which, by the way, that's important because that's what these were doing. That's what both these loca- well, three locations were doing. There was the Richmond, I forget the names of them all of a sudden. There was three different locations, the clean harbors, that were, that were being used. None of them had the ability, all of them were landfilling. So they knew, and that way I just read you Guardian or, the Guardian article saying the same thing. They were knowingly doing this. They were sending this stuff to be buried when they knew there was dangerously high levels of dioxin. They knew this. That's criminal. But it says on top of that, incineration of TCDD requires extraordinary controls, which I argue none of these locations possess, and checks to assure that total destruction 
has been achieved, and no contamination of voluminous off-gases, scrubber, effluent, or ashes occurred. There's multiple levels, that whether it's burned entirely or not, that cause all sorts of spread, and that is assuming it can even actually be removed in the first place, which, again, I keep telling you, is disputed. But realize that the, uh, the, the flu ash and all these different conversations, that's the ash that blew off when they burned this, there was nothing stopping that. Thousands of miles that stuff floated. High levels. Well, here's the other one. So I think we can pretty clearly point out this location is, any location for that matter, is first of all, this location is problematic because it's rife with historical problems and no accountability. And everyone around the area is going, why are you letting them do this? It's a dangerous location. And they never, you know, we've, we've caught them over and over, which is just crazy to me. But then you've got the, Vicar, the Vickery location, the, way, the place that they said they're sending the liquid waste. Well, let's look at that. Well, I mean, we don't even need to dive any deeper on this, right? First of all, Vickery is another place that's trying to dispose of this stuff that seems kind of more, more residential, quite honest. But either way, it's liquid waste. So they're sending this to a location that's quite literally, and I'm going to show it to you right now, dumping this in the ground. Not, not landfill, but the deep well discussion. There's dioxins in this, without question. PFAS, all sorts of things. There is no question, I hope for now, for anybody listening, that that's not, you cannot deal with this by putting it in the ground. That's probably why they don't want to test for this stuff in one way. Here is the, loca- the discussion. E- hazardous liquids from East Palestine being hauled to Vickery site. More than 94,000 gallons of contaminated liquid from East Palestine are being disposed or dumped in the ground at Vickery Environmental Inc., according to Mike DeWine. Quote, most people don't even know it's out there in our country. My concern is to make sure it's safe and the situation is being handled responsibly. Basically, I've been told that the material that is even more hazardous comes in every day and the facility is equipped to handle it. Nope, not true. Complete fake news. That's what they want you to tell. Don't worry, they deal with all sorts of dangerous things. Okay, so what is it that you think they're dealing with right now? If you say dioxins, then you're lying because it's not more dangerous. The TCDD is more dangerous than literally anything they've ever handled before in their lifetime. It is the most dangerous chemical that we know of. So when they say this, that means they either don't know what they're talking about or they're lying about what they're dealing with. I think it's probably both to a degree. The Vickery site, which is in the Townsend Township of Sandusky County, operates class four, one, or excuse me, four class one hazardous underground injection wells that are about 2,900 feet deep according to EPA. Three other injection wells at the site have been plugged and abandoned. Great. Nothing about incineration, guys. He said trucks carrying from 2,500 to 10,000 gallons each of contaminated liquid waste from East Palestine are arriving regularly. That's crazy. 10,000 gallons each containing regularly. The EMA said that in 1999, the EPA determined that injected waste will not migrate vertically out of the designated injection zone and not more than five miles laterally from from the well in a period of 10,000 years. I guess we'll just take their word for that, right? The FDA is like, give us 75 years. Like, it's just like, okay, give us a time to when nobody will remember what's going on anymore. Do you think by the year 2050 that anyone's even going to remember that this was, I mean, think about how this game is played. This is the same EPA, the EPA that's screaming at you that nothing's even happening right now in East Palestine. But we're going to trust them that they can dump this in the ground and it just won't come back up. 
doesn't you know yes it's very far down but even think about it like this they're saying that it won't move laterally for 10,000 years well isn't that still a time frame what about the people that will exist in that frame? i mean the point is you're still kicking this down the road no matter how long that's pretty stupid like the point is that they should, if they're acting like this is something they're going to deal with and they argue they know there's dioxins which they don't want they don't want to test for putting it in the ground is a guaranteed way to make sure that it's not dealt with now, one, one thing, by the way, I noticed this was, it says, this story has been updated. So as always, I went to try to find the Wayback Machine to see if it was updated. I found something strange on a quick side note. I keep seeing this, guys, and it makes me really nervous. This URL has been excluded from the Wayback Machine. How does that even happen? How does the Wayback Machine allow that? Or if maybe it's outside of their control. That's not the same as not being there. That means it's been excluded from this. That's weird. You know, too bad. I guess that's gone, right? But here is the Vickery Environmental Inc. page, where it simply shows you, makes it clear what they're doing. Four injection wells are used for waste disposal on an as-needed basis. On average, one or two wells are in operation at any one time. The injection rate typically averages 40 to 90 gallons per minute for each well in operation. I mean, in case you're unclear about this, they are literally just dumping this into the ground at approximately 2,800 feet below ground level. They argue that is below groundwater. Do we know for sure that doesn't seed end up in some, you know, drifting upward? I mean, how do we know this stuff? We're taking their word for it, and we've caught them lying over and over. It's crazy to me. What are underground injection wells used for? Now, I mean, I, you already get the point, I think. Where water and other substances are injected into the earth. So it's not like there's some kind of secret here. They're dumping this into the ground and are used for a wide variety of purposes. The EPA regulates around 850,000 underground injection wells. So these are all over the country. They are dumping dangerous things where they just say it's deep enough. Well, I guess we'll wake up in 100 years from now, and they're going to be like, oh, turns out we were wrong. <laughs> Too late now, as we just basically dumped. I mean, what? Do you, eight, think about this. 850,000 wells all around the world were, for how long now, they've been just dumping routinely stuff. How do we not think that's going to eventually be a problem? This is the kind of stuff that our government does. Either an, a shocking lack of foresight or they just don't care. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm completely off base about this. Something tells me I'm not. I don't think everybody's aware that that's what's happening with all this stuff, let alone with the most dangerous chemicals we know of. Then we have to remember what we just talked about. Andrew Welton just made this point. Well, there's probably a reason that instead of dealing with this, they leave these huge tanks of water out in the open to be rained on, which then in and of itself spreads the problem. That's clear, but also dilutes the problem. We are watching a massive time cover-up. They are hoping this drifts away and spreads into the background so they can just go, oh, it's always been there, as we've talked about before. This is unreal how obvious this is. Now, let's shift into another conversation. Well, for, oh, I wanted to leave this with you in, in general as well. A substack post dioxins and other, an Ohio drain, train derailment going into the, Scott did an overview of a lot of this stuff. There's important stuff in here. Scott C. Smith interview where we interview him and discussing what he's finding, and he still is. And then, oh, Andrew Elton also point, just a random associated point. This is from a few days ago. They says, someone smarter than me, tell me what's going on here. This is in Illinois. Andrew Welton chimes in and just simply says, the open discharge of plastic manufacturing waste 
in Illinois. I can guarantee you that includes all sorts of things, including dioxins. It's quite literally pumping right into the middle of the street, into the middle of your town. I just, it's almost hard to wrap your mind around. And I, I think it's clear why they can't, they are almost unwilling to admit that they know this, because how do you stop all of this? There's regulations and laws and ju- like uh, decades of this stuff. If they just stepped up and said, pause all of it, I mean, industry would collapse. We should do that, though. Absolutely. Screw all the corporations and their industry. Tough it out when you don't get the products you want. We should care about our health. But the point is the EPA isn't willing to do that, I would argue, and we just watch it continue to roll forward. It's alarming. Oh, and before we get in, I want this is important before we finish with the France conversation, which I do also think is very important. But it, again, it's more, more of an overview of what's going on for everybody. I'm sorry for those of you who wanted to get a more deep talk about that alone. I quite I find a lot of this stuff to be far more important at the moment. Before we do that, I'm going to close some of these really quickly. But we're going to talk next about the GMO conversation in, in Mexico that Derek just put a great article out about. And then we'll finish with the France conversation. This, it just shows you, again, kind of keeping in mind what we just discussed. It's this all-encompassing kind of multi-front war on your health. And include the injection and all that. Mexico announces a 50% tariff on white corn imports as Canada joins in fight over GMOs. Don't forget that I've been predicting a regime change in Mexico with specifically AMLO, AMLO, excuse me, I, I just, I, it's very clear. I don't know whether it's actually going to happen. I could be wrong, but it seems in the cards, like I called it with Bolivia. You can just kind of see when you start to get this back in. Like right now, the U.S. is not happy with the way he's been conducting himself, I would argue. I mean, that's clear. They say that. And so now he's pushing back on one of the most important agendas, I would argue, and that's the control of the food supply. Mexico's battle for food sovereignty took another step forward over the weekend as President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, known as AMLO, announced a 50% tariff on white corn imports. The U.S. believes Mexico's recent efforts to ban imports of U.S.-grown GMO corn will hurt farmers. It's quite the opposite, though. Every research, I mean, that's the government trying to hide. If you look at the evidence, both of the GMO experiments in places like India and all the rest of them, it's the exact opposite. GMOs hurt the food supply. It's been very clearly outlined The point I make before is like, why do we allow somebody who dramatically failed with another genetically modified product push another genetically modified product on you in the form of an injection? And another one that failed, again, failed if you think that's what they were trying to accomplish. I think the GMOs did exactly what they were supposed to. The point is that they're claiming that it'll harm the farmers and run afoul of the U.S.-Mexico trade agreement, free trade agreement. Now, here's the big point. If Mexico wakes up today and goes, you know what? This is hurting people. We want to stop this. And the U.S. goes, no, you made a deal. <laughs> you mean that, like a deal that you guys break every turn because you don't like what's happening anymore? You violate agreements and, and accords and, and UN resolutions. And yeah, but only what you want, the point is, is just hypocrisy. But ask yourself, what are the lines drawn? So you make an agreement, to, but then you find out that stuff you're being sold is in, not in good faith and it's hurting people. Well, that I argue there's probably something in the agreement that says you can not do it. Maybe not. Either way, it's the right thing for the people of Mexico. In early June, the U.S. government announced they were seeking official dispute resolution with Mexico for their recent efforts to ban GMO corn. U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai requested dispute settlement consultations with Mexico under this agreement. 
So basically a panel will have six months to study the complaint and release their findings. If Mexico is found to have violated the agreement, there could be sanctions. Yet another country being economically sanctioned illegally by the U.S. government. That's how this works. No country has the ability to individually cast down sanctions. The point is supposed to go through an international body. It's, it's against the law. It doesn't matter, though. But so every country, Russia, China, they're all doing it to some degree. But the U.S. government really started this ball rolling where they act. They just hand down sanctions because they have the monetary control. That's how this works. And this is economic terrorism. That's what it is. Sanctions like this are economic terrorism. There's no way around that. And it's it fundamentally wrong as far as like, I mean, everything about this is it, like, this is an individual country using its own power over the finance of other countries to force them to do things they want for their benefit. And it's usually at the expense of the people of those countries. That's just history that you can look up for yourself. But you're going to sanction them if they choose to do something that's right for their people, if it takes money out of the pockets of U.S. In, or oligarchs? Uh-huh. That's how this works. Welcome to democracy. Bloomberg recently reported that Canada is now joining the U.S. government's efforts to pressure Mexico to accept GMO corn without restrictions of any kind. Quote, Canada shares the concerns of the U.S. that Mexico's measures are literally, they say, not scientifically supported. <laughs> Think about how stupid that is. The only thing not scientifically supported is everything the U.S. government is doing. They are pushing everything on you that is quite literally the opposite of what the real science. I mean, just like the, it's like the injection. Do you realize how many studies have shown that GMOs are not healthy for you? That literally do, in fact, cause cancer or glyphosate or, you know, they just pump out one industry funded study and go, you're wrong. Sort of like what's happening in East Palestine right now. Isn't that funny? That's how these people operate. Not scientifically supported. My God. So they're literally trying to stop these terrible things from being given or used in their country. And Canada steps up and goes, no, non-science. And they have the potential to unnecessarily disrupt the trade agreements. Ah, okay, that's what it's really about. Bloomberg notes that while Canada is not a major corn exporter, it is, however, the world's biggest, one of the world's biggest producers of canola. You know, that disgustingly dangerous and very unhealthy stuff that should go in your car engine and not in your body that they absolutely export more than almost anybody? Very telling. The vast majority of which is genetically engineered, and that's the point. According to a, a people familiar with the matter, Canadian officials have expressed concern about prohibitions on food produced using genetically engineered bio and biotechnology. The point is, the U.S. and the United States are aggressively invested in this direction. So if, if Mexico starts pushing back, it's going to cause a rift in their push for GMO everything. Quote, Mexico has displaced the United States as the world leader in childhood obesity. I wonder why as diets rich in native corn and other traditional foods have been replaced by ultra-processed foods and beverages high in sugar, salts, and fats. Right, so the country that's screaming about health, putting forward somebody like Levine to tell you how to be healthy, or Hotez, to say, here's how you need to be healthy, put stuff in your body, and take dangerous treatments that we have no studies to back up for, that that's health in this world, right? So you can see the outcome. Ultra-processed, clearly more dangerous for you unhealthy in every possible way. I mean, it's the, it's the equivalent of having the U.S. government force other countries to use their baby formula as if the breastfeeding was more dangerous. That's what they actually tried to argue more than once. But it says up here, when it comes to the why behind the government's actions, look no further than the rise in childhood obesity and diabetes. 
Researchers found that since the, the NAFTA agreement was enacted in 1994, the United States has been exporting obesity, they said. That's exactly what's happening. The Lopez Obrador government recently stood up to the powerful food and beverage industry to mandate stark warning labels on foods high in those unhealthy ingredients. Its restrictions on GM corn and glyphosate flow from the same commitment to public health. This is the stuff they're trying to push on them under the guise of science and health. We live in Orwell's world, man. This is absolutely mind-blowing. We documented that in 17 of the 28 years since NAFTA took effect, the United States has exported corn, wheat, rice, and other staple crops at prices below what it costs to produce them. How is that even possible? Think about what that means, actually, before we even read the next sentence. So they're selling this stuff, so they're spending $100 to make it and selling it for 50 or whatever the numbers are. You're selling it for less than what you cost, so that you're, you're losing money. So why would they be doing that? Well, this is an unfair trade practice known as agricultural dumping. And it springs from chronic overproduction of such products in that country's heavily industrialized agriculture. So this is why, as Brian in the past has pointed out, you have fields of just of squash and stuff just rotting because they're paid to let it sit there. Because this is artificial. As we act like we're trying to make food for the starving countries, we are literally overproducing, underselling, and letting this stuff rot. Or, or forcing stores to dump and sell. I mean, I've gone over this stuff a thousand times. They pr- we produce enough food in this country to feed the, to feed the, ho- the hungry, one, th- I think it was three times over. I forget the exact numbers off the top of my head. We, all, we, all, we talk about the people that are starving. Here, let me just do this real quick. It's an old article, not that old, but... I've brought this up many times. And the, the numbers have only gotten more obvious since this article, but I wrote this, I think, in 2016. And the point was, let me get, find the spot here. So it's saying the United, the United Nations estimates, where was it? Yeah, right here. So it says, for the past two decades, the rate of global food production has increased faster than the rate of global population growth. The world not the United States, the world, already produces more than one and a half times enough food to feed everyone on the planet. It, this, the links are all in here. You can look at it for yourself. That's enough to feed 10 billion people. This is 2016. That's the peak expected in 2050. Currently, one third of the food produced worldwide ends up in the trash every year for a variety of reasons. The United States is by far the worst, with about 60 tons of food wasted annually. This means that world hunger could literally be solved by simply utilizing the 33% of the world's food that is wasted. This is, a, it's a joke. They laugh about this, I would argue, to people that act like we're growing fake things to feed the planet. The amount of wasted food is almost as outrageous as the reasoning behind it. And one of those is they need things to look perfect, not discolored, perfect shapes. That's not how nature works, but why is that how the store works? You get stores that quite literally, or rather production places that get rid of weird shaped and colored things. And the stores do the same. And then they dump it behind the store and then pour bleach on it because you can't have it for free. We, we are a disgusting society in, the, in many different ways. Now, it's the last part was you know, currently Americans, this is 2016, waste almost 40% of their food. That's $165 billion worth of food every year, 20 pounds per person every month. This wasted yet perfectly edible food could fill 730 football stadiums. The percentage of waste has increased by around 50% just since 1974. 
in a time when California is, oh, that's just the current point at that time. The point is, guys, as we're as they're acting like we need to do this to save everybody, it's very clear, very clear based on all the reality, all the, the, the studies and the, the current realities of our, our production that we're lying to ourselves because there's something else going on. As we're leaning into fake meat and, and, and buying up farmland and burning down things. I mean, it's very clear that at some level, this is being orchestrated. That's my opinion. But however you look at it, why are we forcing them to take things that we know aren't safe, we know aren't healthy, which actually undermines their food supply, when we know that we have enough that we throw away right now? I think you know the answer to that. It's saying... Uh, it says officials with the U.S. and Canadian governments continue to claim that Mexico's decision to ban or restrict the import of GMO corn are not based in science. So stupid. In March of this year, Mexico's National Council for Science and Technology hosted a webinar where they quite literally laid out the science. That's how dumb this is, right? The trust the science crowd are literally walking a narrative while we point to peer-reviewed science and we're somehow anti-science. That's broken. This, this technology group they did, they, the Mexican government's senior science department and this group organized several presentations from the scientists of, of the Me- of Mexican scientists detailing the health concerns surrounding GM food and glyphosate, which is typically sprayed on GM corn. For the Mexican farmers who have been cultivating corn for an estimated 8,000 years, right, and the U.S. knows better, right, GM corn represents a significant threat. GM corn can spread via the birds, bees, and wind, resulting in cross-pollination between traditional crops and GM versions. We've shown you this for years. During his presentation, this individual, the director of Mexico's Biosecurity Agency Intersectional Commission for Biosafety and Genetically Modified Organisms, noted that, quote, Mexico has a rich store of exceptionally healthy varieties of corn. It is alarming to find that 90% of tortillas were shown to have traces of both glyphosate, and transgenics. Well, there you go, guys. The biosecurity of Mexico is of utmost importance. I'm sad to say it's gone. It's the same reason that I keep pointing out that every member of the UK parliament took a piss test and found glyphosate in their urine. It's, the reality is that this is long since, about, with the battle that's long since been lost. The piss test heard around the world, I called it, and you can read it for yourself. Every one of them found glyphosate in their urine. This was in 19, 2016. So the question is really about what we do now and stop what's going forward. The GM food they're pushing, the dioxins they're continuing to spread, right? We need to get ahead of this. National University biologist Anna Laura uh, Bruglio, a biologist at Mexico's National University, made it clear that, quote, without healthy corn, we cannot have healthy people. The pressure campaign from the U.S. and Canada represents yet another attempt at colonizing the food supply by targeting a nation with rich history of cultivation of corn. God, it scares the hell out of me what's going on with all this. But let's finish talking about France. It's weird that this refreshed. So, this is a story that I think is really being misrepresented on a thousand different ways, and I think that's part of the intention, I argue, personally. Now, this starts from the end of June, and we saw... This, as we're, as is being reported, the death of a young man who was a, I believe, an Arab or a, uh, a uh, what was it? Was it Iranian or was it, I forget now, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I, it's in here somewhere. 
I'll, I'll get to it as a read through. I don't want to guess, but so this was a, this was a, 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 a non-local, let's put it that way before I get to it. And that is one of the arguments for why we're seeing all of these uprisings of, of, you know, everyone's saying the migrants are over, over, you know, there's such an interesting overlap to this. Look right out of the gate. I, I think I should make it clear. And I've said this before that so many people, especially the two party illusionists, they're lost in that game. will tend to ignore, like not listen to what you say. If you just go afoul of like one talking point. And somehow undermine like the idea that you're somehow fighting for the globalists and the left if you don't acknowledge this is all a complete overrun of migrants taking over, you know, whatever. Now, is there a game that's being played in that regard? 100%. No one should deny that there are open border, you know, like the George Soros discussions and and the idea of open societies, no idea of pushing globalization, pushing technocracy, removing borders. This is a real obvious on-the-surface agenda. And that does include using migrants to affect that, to achieve that effect. But does that mean that's what this is? That it's just the byproduct of left policies? Well, that's a really clumsy and lazy way to frame this because that's happening all over the place. And it's not just, the point is there's something specific happening in France, either a PSYOP, an agenda to drive this kind of unrest to achieve something or a response to something that's not just because migrants are migrants and bad people. Like the inherent point is that these people are just bad. Right. That, that's you'll see that from a lot of these disgusting people, specifically on the right right now. They're going, no, you know, just because they're from the Middle East, that somehow they're all terrorists or because they're coming from this location. that They're somehow all, you know, violent rapists and all this stuff. And it just kills me. There are examples of it, just like with the trans conversation. There are very clear examples of people that are coming over from other countries and, and raping people or committing crimes. And that should be called out and addressed for what it is. And that does include the fact that that was done because of certain policies or allowed at the very least. But does that mean every single one? Of course not. I hate that we even have to point that out. So just so that's clear, there is an overlap to this that's very much part of what's going on. But let's start at this point right here. Weirdly enough, I can't find this guy's full name. This kid, a 17-year-old, Nahel M is all I can find. I don't know if that's because this is translated or they're hiding his full name. I'm not sure. But this kid was in a car. And the story was that he was trying to drive into the police officers. And they shot him. That went everywhere. People were upset about it. Then a video was released. And that's what this report is about. That very clearly showed the police. They lied about it. They were on the side of the car. They stopped him for a traffic result. The guy even threatened to shoot him in the head, and then he shot him in the head. That's literally what happened, and you can the video is easy to see. And so that then caused massive surge in people very upset about that. Now, that's clearly part of it, but like, like Franz before about the age of retirement conversation, people did protest about that, but was that all that happened? Clearly not, and we, we showed you that before. Now, I reached out to Freddie Pontone, who I'm hoping to have on the show when he recovers, and he gave me some insight into what he thought as well. And he's the previously per- person we talked about the last time. That there is such an obvious agenda in France in particular from this. I mean, Macron himself is a globalist puppet as far as I'm concerned. A lot of these people are. But so what I think in part, and, he, and this is what he thinks as well, is that this is something being taken advantage of, arguably made to happen. So that they could take advantage of many different things primarily in regard to censorship, shutting down conversations, controlling information around other things that are being exposed, and then just having top-down control over a population that is not taking it anymore. It's the same thing I see coming in this country right now. 
But I still argue the very last thing we should be doing, unless literally driven to it because of their actions, and I mean that like somebody's about to kill your family, that we should not be acting in violence. But I could be wrong. Plenty of people disagree with that. But I, I, my gut tells me that if acting in violence is exactly what they want from us. And I think that's what this is about. In part by the U.S. government pointing in France and saying, see, we can't just let people spread disinformation. That's what happens. We have to shut down and we have to do it to you first before you guys do it to us. Speaking about the United States people. That's what I think. And before we get into the main part of this, let's, go, but this is, let's bring this to just two days ago, three days ago. Paris Olympics pool engulfed in flames on the third night of violent protests. This is from the Telegraph. It says a third night of protest over the deadly shooting of a teenager. Now, again, I kind of find it impossible to believe that all of this is simply because of one shooting. Now, if you think the shooting is really the reason that they're all doing this, it has to be because, in my opinion, of a, and that's one of the reasons, people, one of the things people point out, a much larger concern that goes b- bigger than just one person. And this is about what we've been seeing. The overwhelmingly violent response from the French police. Completely elite. I mean, pretending we're all in democracies or, you know, representative governments, right? That's not what's actually happening. You're showing your hand as an authoritarian state. That's what it is. You are are stepping out with an authoritarian action and just beating people up in the streets and blaming it on whatever you want. So that's what happens in the United States, what happens in the UK. So here's France that's been doing the same thing. Or the yellow vests, where we see this massive movement and they just don't care. So the French people have had enough in one part of this. And so you see people stand up and start pushing back. Then you see the discussion, the overlap of whatever we're being seen, whether it's completely artificial, which I don't think it is, or manufactured, which I think it is, being pushed by the right side of this whole conversation, which it's all the migrants. Right? It's all of these, these brown and black people that are pushing this and doing that and raping this and breaking stores. And, okay, well, why then? Is it all a manufactured thing? And then, okay, then explain why that's overlapped with the shooting of this kid and why there are very clear examples of French protests taking place. Okay, well, you have to consider them both. If, 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 if you think that you have a bunch of manufactured riots on one side of it, well, that you have to at least consider that it in the same discussion as the real ones taking place or the protests. But if you think this is just like a engineered color revolution to create the kind of things we've seen with the, the past open societies conversations, well, how does that overlap with the shooting and the protests? Maybe they have nothing to do with one another, but you at least have to acknowledge that. My problem is that I see people on the right just kind of sweeping away all of this and act like that's all fake news and it's all about this one thing. That is how the two-party illusion breaks logic, in my opinion. You might even be right and you're still missing half the story. But in any case... We'll get into more of that in a second. Going forward, the unrest overnight followed a march on Thursday in the memory of the 17-year-old named Nahal M. Again, I'm not, that's strange to me, whose death has revived long-standing grievances about policing and racial profiling in France's low-income and multi-ethnic suburbs. Now, that would make sense at some level that people are like, like, look, you see in the United States, you've got Black Lives Matter movements marching with never police over accountability, and you know, that was the whole point, right? It was all because they were marching through, rioting in many cases, because they felt the police were, okay, well, at the very least, narrative-wise, that kind of overlaps. Well, we know that the Black Lives Matter movement was not organic. In some ways, it was. But there were absolutely agendas that were driving this for many different reasons. So you see my point? There's overlaps to that. So if we know for sure that there is this kind of underlying problem 
which I do think is there. I don't think these governments care at all about any side of whatever ethnicity, but it can be perceived from certain people as being focused on them. And then they can, especially when a young kid gets shot who is of certain ethnicities. Gerald Darmanin, the interior minister, said 667 people have been arrested in what they've been described as a night of rare violence. That's crazy. 667 people? As you can see here, justice for Nahal. And you can see she's wearing a, a hijab and all, all the rest of it. So, of course, this is being framed by certain people as being, you know, I mean, like, like what's, this is, I was pointing this out a moment for, a moment ago, actually. There was a, a, a classic procession that happens every year that happened in Sweden. And just because they have different writing on them, people go, what is it with the ISIS flags? And it's just like, God, we're so ignorant sometimes. Just because people are different does not immediately make them what the government wants you to think they are. People see this kind of look and they think terrorist. And that just shows our ignorance, or rather it shows the government engineered ignorance. Could it be? Of course. So too could the people standing over there that are completely white or completely black or whatever else. Anybody can be, and in most cases, it's not what you think. But overall, so here's the kid right here. It seems that there are a bunch of genuine people that are actually upset about what happened here. France has been rocked by successive nights of protests since Nahal was shot at point-blank range on Tuesday during a traffic stop, which was captured on video. In the first media interview since the shooting, Nahal's mother told France 5, I don't blame the police. I blame one person, the one who took the life of my son. She, and so what's interesting is, so she's saying this, people are focusing on the point, but then of course you get protests that come out and burn things down based on the idea that it was because of what they did. It was focused on a certain community. Again, that feels like a color revolution possibility. She said the 38-year-old officer responsible who was detained and charged with voluntary manslaughter on Thursday saw an Arab face, a little kid, and wanted to take his life. Well, that's her opinion. Kind of feels like, at the very least, it, I find it hard to believe. I mean, I don't know. I, I, these days, there's a lot of people really angry. But the idea that he just was like, I'm just going to, I mean, I think at the very least, he'd be aware there'd be some kind of accountability. To me, it seems more like, a police officer who just is unaccountable and felt this person was going to take action he didn't agree with, whether or not it was an Arab face. That's more, but again, maybe I just don't see it. The bottom line is he was an Arab kid and he was shot point blank and they lied about it. The Memorial March ended with a riot of police firing tear gas at several cars that were set alight. Now, was that because they fired on them first or how's it go? I mean, the point is there's a lot of people arguing one way or the other. And as always, it seems like nobody even be, is able to suss that out when everybody lies about what they want to be the narrative. Now, here's what's alarming. When you go into this whole the, the story in the video that came out, a voice is actually heard saying, you are going to get a bullet in the head. That's a, the cop was on the record saying that to a kid, a 17-year-old kid. The police then appears to fire at the car abruptly as the car abruptly drives off. So you can argue, I mean, the, the kid, see, this is where you get into these police apologists where, well, the kid drove away. What does he expect? It's like, who can really say that? You'll find that online right now. So it's acceptable to shoot a child in the head because he drives away or an adolescent. That's so crazy to me. And especially when he goes, you're going to get shot in the head. So this guy is a maniac. Clashes first erupted at the video emerged, contradicting their efforts. Now, that's also what Freddie Ponton pointed out, that once that came out, that's when you really saw this surge. Now, what we're seeing, of course, and this is one thing that stood out to me, is the absurd argument that this is a bunch of social media lies, right? Macron blames social media, saying authorities will 
take steps to remove sensitive content and to identify those who call for disorder. Okay, so a video comes out that proves they lied about this. The government covered it up, and it's your fault, France. It's all you. It's your fault. You shouldn't be sharing the proof. Of course, it's not, it's not what he says. Fake news. We got to remove the liars. Like that. That's the game today. That's East Palestine. That's the EPA. We're all sick, and everybody knows it. Nope, you're wrong, because I said so. So Macron goes, nope. It's all because of lies. Don't trust the video. This is where we are. They are teetering on the edge if this is what's happening, guys. I really feel that way. The point that if we, if, people, if they're just like blatantly going, you're lying, and that's it, and we're going, well, we're not, though. We all know it, and we know you know we're not lying. Then it's, it's dangerous, and that's why we're watching. The way they're acting is almost as if they just don't want to acknowledge the reality, and they're just kind of going about their business. To me, that screams desperation. Freddie Ponton writes, the French Minister of Justice on Freedom of Speech. Now, the, the translation's a little wonky, but he says, we're going to freak the accounts. The judicial authority may ask for the operators and to deliver their IP addresses. So they are literally hunting down individuals who simply showed the truth. When that door is open, there is no way to know where it will end, Freddie says. And this is in French, but you can hear him just basically saying that, you know, we're going to hunt these people down. As Sarah Abdallah points out, Macron is a hypocrite. As always. Here is on June 30th. The spreader team is pointing out a very important video. It's in French. But he's in 2020. Macron is saying in Lebanese or to the Lebanese. The revolution does not happen by anyone's order. People make it happen. You know, the revolution that they were clearly involved with driving to happen. But of course, to that, the point, their point being, hey, you know, people got to do what people going to do. We can't just step in. Today, of course, protests are not legal and no one has the right to revolt against. Of course. Right. See. Fair protest when it's the, your enemies dealing with what you created. Of course, when it's happening to you, well, it's illegal and it's not. It's a riot. It's just always how this game is played. It's, it's sad. Dimitri points out that Emmanuel Macron's country is going up in flames. And what is he doing? Well, he's talking to Canada about Ukraine, of course, and Haiti. Because that's what matters, right? That's my point. How can you not address what's going on right now? That's because you are hoping that it goes away. Macron should fix his own disastrous mess before he continues to meddle in other affairs. But yeah, here he is talking about Ukraine. Now, before we go forward, now basically uh, what Freddy Ponton had told me in his opinion, essentially, is that he does believe that the, re- the unrest, kind of the recent unrest, is largely from the, the not Nahal M being shot and then the way they lied about it. Because the video shows point blank executed. And they immediately tried to spin the story. They lied about it. And now it's provable, right? So that's a, that in and of itself is a big deal. But he says his personal view is also that this was completely a setup. And this is something that I really do begin to see everywhere. Now, I'm, we should question it all. Don't believe we can prove that we know for sure. But the point is that based on what we've seen from the past, in France in particular, that we're seeing people, take January 6th, for example, in, in the U.S. example, that we are in a lot of ways being set up more than I've ever seen. And I think that speaks to where this is about to go. I think they're aware that people are seeing through all of this stuff. So in his opinion, he believes that there's a lot of this was being like essentially set up to, to drive people in the direction of this plan. Now, I think I agree with him on one of the points that like right now, and that's kind of what I was getting at that on pretty much every front you look at the government, at least in the narrative are losing in very, very obvious ways. And I think they're a bit desperate to regain that control 
as well as create a justification to set a state of emergency to where they can then initiate martial law, carry out all sorts of very serious actions. Now, that seems like a logical step. When you recognize that you no longer have control of the population, you have to create a situation that you can use to justify your actions. You know, here's, here's a problem that you created. Here's what I propose as a solution that you already had ready. Right? As people are going, please do something. That's how it works. Now, I really believe that's where this is at. Now, the, the social media aspect of it, I think, is also a really important part of this. That we know, as they're telling us, that this needs to be taken care of. It's all fake news. Well, that's going to lead to the absolute justification to censor and control everything you do online. It's already happening, guys. It's not hard to see. But that brings us to the, what we are seeing on the other side of this, right? All the videos and reports of, of the migrants, rape, all the different stuff that's happening. Well, you are seeing a lot of this stuff, and I think it's very strange. That's why, in my opinion, I agree. I think that this is being used. Now, whether this was done, potentially from the, the, the shooting in general or not, to drive it, it's up for you to decide. But I think what we're seeing is another color revolution level of action. I find it very strange that you see an Iranian flag. Now, this, what this video is, this person says, why are foreign flags being flown in London as the police are attacked? Now, I don't know why that's an odd way to frame that. It's not like foreign, it's not like some foreign flag militia, right? It's just a big crowd with a lot of people, and this guy happens to be holding an Iran flag. I think, you know, a lot of these accounts are going out of their way, in my opinion, to try to frame this a certain way. But I do think that it shows, one, that they, it could just be an Iranian that believes that that's a kid, you know, whatever. But overall, I find it odd that this video, it seems as if you're trying to see this as a way to make it seem like there's foreign entities that are, in fact, driving chaos, which then justifies more action versus Iran or other ent entities that you want to blame for it. So as you got all these right-wing counts that are going, oh my God, they're pushing, it's all the, these migrants allowing this and pushing this in, that's going to be used in the same way. So you watch the video real quick. So you can, oh, actually, no, I didn't download it. It's right here. So they're trying to arrest this guy, clearly, and everyone's attacking them. Well, what's, what's weird, by the way, is that guy with the Iranian flag went up to attack the guy being arrested. So clearly, the, trying to force this into a certain narrative doesn't even work when they're not really... The guy wasn't attacking the police. Watch. He, they're throwing the stuff at the guy being arrested. See? Isn't that interesting? So again, why are foreign flags being flown as the police are attacked? Well, that's the way the narrative works for whatever I'm saying. Right, that foreign entities are overrunning the kind of going at. Well, they were going after the guy being arrested. Doesn't that kind of? I guess it doesn't matter. You know, all the facts get in the way of your narrative, right? But either way, I think that the Iranian flag is going to be pointed out. But I overall do think that this is interesting. It seems screams color revolution kind of momentum, right? That they use a real event and then it blows out of proportion, and the people that have already stopped, that you know, protesting that fall to the background and then weirdly enough it just keeps getting more violent and more violent that's usually a good sign that it's not organic but it says why why are we importing problems from elsewhere into a capital city of course that's see that's the kind of narrative it's left right paradigm politics and i'm not saying it's necessarily wrong i just tend to think that people in that paradigm will overlook a lot of things to sell what they think is happening but hassan mafi points something out i just want to include i think is interesting this is france as well 
seeing a lot of fireworks. And a lot of people are framing that as like war zone. You look and it's like, what's well, green and purple fireworks? It doesn't even look like, but anyway, there is fire, obviously. It's saying, he, he says, has the U.S. started to arm the French moderate rebels and support their fight for freedom? <laughs> obviously, he's trying to make fun of how they frame anything they want as good guys fighting for freedom anywhere in the world. But then if this was French people fighting for their own, you know, fighting against the government, well, they wouldn't support that. But then at the same time, you might ask yourself, is that possibly what's actually happening? Do we have an outside effort by larger powers, not, you know, think globally at this point, including the U.S. government, driving this kind of stuff? Like we did see the video of police fans full of weapons and all this stuff. But again, there's so much out there that we can't verify. A lot of videos, like always, that's the point I made earlier, from China or elsewhere, where you, we look back, you know, um, two months from now, and it's like half the videos seemed like were from 2016. They were old. They were altered. That happens every single time. I, you know what you always find, which I think is hilarious? None of that stuff gets censored, which I don't think it should. But they censor all the time stuff that you can prove is true. Don't you love that? Because that's the real dangerous stuff. It is the truth. But, you know, all the spreading of aggressive misinformation is by the typical characters you might expect. France has fallen to an African migrants and is now an Islamic caliphate. This wasn't a joke, by the way. He's literally saying this. France has fallen to African migrants and is now an Islamic caliphate. Where did that even come from? While Christians are being publicly raped and murdered across the entire country, French police and mainstream media can't even keep track of which towns have been totally burned to the ground. The French led in the Trojan horse and now they've been conquered. Western civilization is on the brink of collapse. Yeah, that's called fear porn. And even Twitter follows up and says, nope. That didn't happen. These cities aren't burned down. Oh, yes, there's all sorts of serious problems happening, but this is just taking something that is happening and it's really serious and just adding hyperbolic ridiculousness to it. An Islamic caliphate? Like, it's just this... I don't... Anyway, guys, just be careful who you listen to, please. It's getting outrageous out there. Here's another example of stuff being spread. Snipers on French rooftops. Nope. It's not real. You can look at it for yourself. It's an old video. The guy has no cartridge in his gun. It's fake. It's an old video and it's fake. It's not even, you know, so yet, but yet, snipers. Does anybody check anything anymore? I don't understand it. I make mistakes too, but so anyway, the point for me is that there's a lot of misinformation flying around, but at the same time, we can see a lot of examples of a lot of what would seem to be used to justify some kind of ethnic or racial change which clearly is happening. That was my point in the beginning. You can clearly show that there's this almost forced integration, which a lot of people don't want. And some people think that's racist not to want it. But again, that's not even the conversation to have today. The point here is that this is being used to justify action by France, by the US. Now, if one side of the paradigm only wants to see this as left politics have to collapse this country, you're not paying attention to the bigger point, in my opinion. And if you do think that's what's happening, how do you make sense of all the rest of the information? <laughs> that's the problem is you don't just get to ignore half the story to make what you think is happening true. In that being said, I'm still not saying you're wrong. I'm saying I don't think we know for sure. But they hate that, don't they? Well, here's examples of some pretty severe problems. This is Paris. I mean, this is actually wild. Look at how these are cars just burned, to the, burned down in the streets, all along the street. Of course, hardly is that the entire city burned down. It's not what's happening. That's crazy, man. This is this is Paris. (laughs) 
Wow. So the question becomes, is that guy people upset with a shooting? I kind of find it hard to believe. What you tend to see with this kind of action is, is regime change tactics, color revolution. Right? Am I, I mean, you tell me I'm wrong, and I'm not saying I know for sure, but when we, when we see this, the burn cars, the windows, the, the rioting to tactics that are very similar, it's almost always stemming back to some kind of, you know, U.S. aid, you know, that kind of effort where we see them seeding these kind of agendas. Now, I'm not, I'm, that, that's just my perspective, and I do take it from a sort of U.S.-centric perspective, and there's lots of other people involved, MI6 and you and so on, but ask yourself about an Israeli government, for example. Why this makes sense with the story we're being told from the corporate media? I don't think it does. Jim Ferguson points out, France is in trouble. The scale of these riots is moving into uncharted territory. If there was a mass uprising ever and their military would struggle to contain it, he's basically saying nearly 500 public buildings burned down, 667 people arrested, 249 police officers injured, 40,000 police in Grenada. Now, this is just statements being made from people cataloging this. In general, I think there's a lot of dispute. This does seem to be reasonably accurate for what I'm seeing. But again, so much of this is up in the air, it's almost impossible to find the, the exact information. So question everything. But it does appear that this is a very, very serious, which again, does not line up at all with either an Islamic caliphate or a shooting that people protested about. Right? It, I am convinced this is being taken advantage of. This is a psychological operation. There's people stepping in to drive this to where they want this to go. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Now, here are French protesters attack a, the home of the mayor and his family. Now, ask yourself, are these protesters? Same burned cars, the same kind of thing. The mayor of the French city has said his house was attacked. His wife and children were injured. He, in fact, the protesters began to hunt for government officials. It's starting to sound familiar, right? The attackers rammed my house with a car. They set fire to the car and they started a fire in my house. I just, this, 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 this to me... This is the kind of tactics we saw in Venezuela. It's what we're seeing in Ukraine. This does not feel like French protesters, does it? Now, you could argue this is the whole migrant narrative. Certainly could be. Maybe that's why they were sent in there. But I don't think there's enough evidence to make that conclusion. So this is alarming to me. With the, with the Hotez house thing and how they're attacking and, and harassing me at my home. And like this begins to be, I think this is part of a narrative. But now, you know, they're coming after us and we have to defend ourselves. You are the enemy. It's always been the case. Now they're going to state that as the reality. This is, this is just wild to me. Okay. This is one of the most obvious. To me, how does this make sense? So a protest for a shooting. And it ends up with, what, fireworks going off every which way. People... This looks like, as somebody rightly points out, this looks like the purge. This is a motorcycle riding along with a chainsaw running along, attached to the back of the motorcycle. Like, this is ridiculous. And the guy right there just kind of jumps over it like nothing's going on. That does not seem legitimate to me. Like, doesn't seem like a normal circumstance. Check this out. This guy's got a chainsaw running on the back of his motorcycle. Are you kidding me? What in the world? I, it's just ridiculous. I mean, that's just like, 
it's like it's like some DOD or like some CIA group was like, how do we make this like outrageous? Like they, how much you would have bet you could probably find a scene like that out of the movies The Purge? Somebody find that. that would make then it would make sense to me. To me, that seems comical almost. That's the kind of stuff we've come to expect from these government agencies. Now, here's what Kim.com puts out, which may concern. Now, I'm not saying he's even wrong. But I don't like that the way, I mean, especially, I just, this, it gets framed in a way that makes me very concerned that I don't think we should be thinking this. He says, what's happening in France? Well, I, mean, I didn't mean thinking this. I mean, in the sense where this statement could be used to frame that we will be about to become violent. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that Kim shouldn't have said this or that he's wrong. Part, frankly, I feel some of this myself. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that I get very concerned that this is what they want from us. I hope that makes sense. I'm not even trying to diminish this. Here's what he says. What's happening in France will happen in the United States. When Americans realize that their country has been bankrupt by corrupt politicians and their billionaire puppeteers, they will burn power centers, media, and corporate headquarters to the ground. It won't be long now. I, see, I just, I hate that. I don't, I don't think, see, I, I would say that this is, what I would frame this as this is what they want from us. Don't take the bait. The way that sounds, it's almost like, let's get ready to do it, guys. It makes me very worried. We should not take this bait. Don't be, just like with January 6th, you guys saw it. You didn't take the bait. Anybody, left or right, don't fall for it. This is concerning, though, but I genuinely think this is what it's leading toward. I really do. Now, last couple points in general, Sarah Abdallah points something important out. Lest we forget France's role in turning Libya from the country that had the highest standard of living in all of Africa into the war-torn, failed state with open slave markets, creating millions of refugees in the process, which, again, is part of the reason they're pointing refugees in France right now. Right? That's their policy that created this. Problem, reaction, solution, potentially. And she, and she says, and France's role in destroying Syria by arming terrorists with the objective of regime change. Quote, France, along with the U.S. and other NATO countries, backed the anti-Assad forces and provided them with weapons, money, and training, which caused an overwhelming amount of migration. Which, of course, if you ask them, it's because they want to fight for a better life in France or, or the U.S. or fighting for freedom, right? No, they are running from what you've destroyed. They're running from the, the tatters that are their life that you created. They actually hate you a lot, but they have nowhere else to go. That's how this works. And I'm not talking about the governments understand. And most of the foreign people understand that. Like with Iran or Israel or not, uh, Israel. Um, what's the one I was thinking of? What's the other one? Well, anyways, like, like, like Iran, for example, where they say, you know, they step on the flag and they're just the United States or whatever. And they're, they've been on the record so many times going, look, guys, we're not talking about you. We're talking about the government. And I, I get the same point. The United States is rather the way to frame it is the government. The way they act overseas, I mean. And they understand that. So the point is that we have to recognize that we're staring at the way they've created this. I mean, look at Ukraine doing the same thing. They're creating this whole problem by creating wars that drive migration and then acting like it's just, I mean, this is, and then blaming the countries they attack. She also adds one last thing. By the way, while this is happening, Israel is yet again bombing Syria. You know, completely illegal. There's literally nothing legal about it. There's no declaration of war. They're bombing civilian locations. And nobody ever cares outside of the independent media. Because we care about democracy and freedom and human life, right? People are disgusting hypocrites. And then lastly, just on an associated point, Bernie Sweets points out, meanwhile, in the UK, 
because there's also stuff happening around the UK as well, or just in general in Europe, right? There's protests and it's kind of bleeding out elsewhere. Well, police are now refusing to respond to requests for help. Why? Well, because they'd have to deal with it. You need to get around to the co-op. Honestly, there's just been a fight around there because people are trying to stop the shoplifters that you're doing nothing about. There's a member of the public just being assaulted by a 15-year-old girl who's drunk, had a drink thrown in her face, got punched. People have called the police. We come around here and you're sitting here. I know you're not, but the sight of the car will make them scatter. Are you afraid to deal with it then? It kind of is the point. That's the perception. Well, it, it doesn't matter whether you want to pretend that they're saying that from like a bureaucracy level, right? Well, no, technically I'm not supposed to go over there because then I have to write down that I was there and I'm not supposed to be there. So it doesn't matter whether you think he's doing his job or not. My point is always that the bureaucracy is the, is the problem. The government, right? The red tape, the bullshit, man. The fact that these people are right there and 30 feet around the road, there's people being beat up, violated. And they're like, no, I'm sorry, man. I'm not just supposed to be there. Get up and do something, man. Be a human being and protect and serve, right? The problem is that we have broken ourselves in so many ways that these people are just go along to get along. That's who they hire now, right? So we've got, a, we've got a military of people that are inept and barely able to function. And now you've got a bunch of police forces that are just fat and don't want to do anything. Fantastic. Except when they really want to enforce, the real enforcement comes out, right? Those are the people you don't even see on a daily basis. These are the people that are supposed to make you feel like you're being protected. They're not there to protect you. Very sad. That's just cowardice. No, it's not. No, it is. No, it's not. I'm afraid it is. This is our reason these problems exist. That's a pretty poor attitude, I'm afraid. Again, you have your opinion on it, Wow. That's disappointing. Sure is. Sure is. Well, I'll leave it there for today. I'm going to leave you with a video that I won't forget this time. I did forget the last one, and I'm sorry about that. Because we needed a good laugh after that last video, so I apologize I forgot to include it. But today is going to be a different video. It's one just to finish off with the same kind of point that what we've been talking about today. And it's that classic video that you might not have seen that the U.S. Army put out telling you that they've been involved with some of the most obvious CIA counteroperatives, coup, counteroperations and coups throughout history and telling you that we're always there. We're always watching and we will manipulate you. But then if you point at that later, you're called a conspiracy theorist. It's just, it's the reality of the world, guys. From the CIA clip to begin, where he's literally telling you that we make wars, we lie about this, we lie with journalists. The point is that this, this it's only gotten exponentially worse today from where it was then. And this video is just simply them taunting that they know you know, for those of us that do. So just recognize where we really are. And I think that this is more about scaring you back from doing anything than actually trying to, than them feeling like they're winning. Let's put it that way. I think they're well aware the powers that shouldn't be. Either on that note, actually, I should recommend, let's see. Link. Hold on, let me grab this link for you real quick. The new shirt that I haven't mentioned many times. We have we have a they shirt now, which I think is important since I've just mentioned it. Here is our new shirt, which we still have the, the truthclothing.io and all the question everything shirts and everything else, but we now have the 
absolute free free speech absolutist shirt, as well as the they shirt. <laughs> and what it means, what it basically is, the shirt that says they and the hierarchy enslaving you, which is what it stands for. The reality of it, right? The hierarchy enslaving you. That's what it ultimately comes down to. So I will leave you with a video showing you what that really is, right? The idea of these power structures that are openly taunting what they're doing. We see it. And the point is that I think these power structures, the powers that wish they were, are desperate because we are having an effect. You are having an effect. So don't give up. Don't get discouraged. I myself get discouraged all the time, but you guys give me hope for the future every single day, which is why I come back. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. There is another very important phase of warfare. It has as its target, not the body, but the mind of the enemy. The target of psychological warfare is against the enemy's mind. It is words and ideas. Ammunition used by Cywar. Its mission is to influence the thoughts of the enemy soldiers. And at the same time, is expected and encouraged to study foreign languages and the social sciences such as history, economics, and sociology. He must have a broad and sympathetic understanding of all phases of human experience. Gripping at my skin, the walls of night closing. Oh, the use of this force as an integral part of combat has now taken on new form. These are the Psy War soldiers. 